I'm Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And I'm Phil Wolf of the Nefris Initiative. And you're listening to Snakes and Stogies. The only podcast dedicated to fine tobacco. All things reptile related. And the people who love them. As part of the Herpeticulture Network. How is everybody? Phil is running behind, I guess. Uh, but I'm here, as usual. This is Snakes and Stogies. I think it's 155, but... Because uh, last week's with the raffle drawing and stuff kind of threw me off in terms of the... Uh, the numbers of what? So, 154. I put 155 for some reason, but it doesn't matter. Um, 154, here we are. Uh, this episode is brought to you by blackboxcages.com. Check them out. Facebook, Instagram. Put in the code THN at checkout. Three little letters. And uh, save yourself a little bit of money. Get yourself a rack. Get yourself a cage. Awesome racks. I cannot wait to get... I uh, got another XR16. And then the Presentum cage, which I want to say I went with an XT3 on those. Me and Jake are going to... got to head up that way and pick them up here soon. So, uh, excited to have those and, you know, kind of out with the old and with the new, with some other stuff that aren't black box racks. Um eventually sort of the grand plan is to get everything switched over at some point here or another definitely going to need some more v70 size racks here soon uh just with the amount of grow outs and stuff i have happening um gonna be a lot of a lot of uh a lot of v70 racks and stuff and there's there's phil uh but also don't forget the people at puget sound pythons jeff and kendra the awesome awesome people follow them on facebook and instagram as well uh they may have some stuff on morph market currently i know they did not that long ago they had some stuff up for sale so go check that out weddings are expensive go help help them out get yourself something nice while you're at it I think they had some carpet pythons I think they had some boomerals boas and some other odds and ends that you should go check out and Mr. Fashionably Late here. It wouldn't be this show if I wasn't late. True. It's very true. Greetings, all. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm tired, man. I'm tired. I've been oh. running around. Not even that. I don't know if it's like pollen and just allergy seasons and in general, but like this last week, man, I just feel like I've been dragging constantly. Just. Oh, yeah. Out oh, of yeah. more tired than usual, just tis the season, man. Just, yeah, I don't, I, but I mean, no, normally this time of year, like my, my sinuses and stuff are just an absolute disaster, and I'm having to take like nasacord or some sort of you know allergy spray that that helps keep oxygen going to my brain. But uh, yeah, haven't had that this year so far, which is odd. So I wonder if maybe it's just a particular pollen from a particular tree in a particular time of year. That I struggle, but 
I'm not allergic. Thing. I'm not allergic to snakes, and I'm not allergic to stogies. So that's true. Very true. I uh, Billy Jenkins doing? says that my microphone is low. Is that correct? Uh, it sounds fine to me. Okay, good because I ran outside to set all this up. I'm um my folks are out of town, and I'm house sitting, cat watching, cat petting, and feeding, and scooping of the poo, and. I made it here in the nick of time. And when I came outside, nice. everything was air conditioned inside. And, you know, it's oh know, yeah, it, the condensation beer can well, effect. The minute you come outside with all this metal and wires and ugh. so, but we're here. We're here. Oh, we're here. I got, uh, what do you, well, first of all, what do you, what are you smoking this well, episode? I went to go find something out of the, 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 the frequently, what's the word I'm looking for? The one humidor that constantly gets use, you know, the up and down humidor. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to go, I dug to the bottom because I was like, you know, you got to bring some of the old stuff to the top. And I forgot, I still had like 30 ligas in there. Oh, so, you poor thing. I know. What was <laughs> me? What was me? So I, I was going to do a torpedo and I said, you know what? No, let me just do number nine Toro, all time favorite. So it's been probably t- like at least two or three months since I had one. So I'm, I'm overdue. Nice. There was, there was a week, like two weeks ago, I think it was a Friday. And I was like, man, I've just been having my ass kicked at work lately. And I said, I'm going to, I think it's today's, I think this week is worthy of a, to end on a Liga, yeah. a Liga note. And I got a T52 <laughs> and I just sat in the chair at the shop and just bullshitted for two hours, you know? That Rogers, yeah. Okay, yeah. good, good. Yeah, man. I, I I can't think of. I mean, so obviously, COVID put a hex on some of the cigar shop hanging out. Mm-hmm. Um, but my local places, the minute like food and beverage opened up, they were open, and like yeah. I did, I did go a few times. But honestly, man, I'm just so rushed with the hustle and bustle of being a friggin' adult that it just time to go chill and a lot of my homies don't want to go to the bar to smoke they just want to smoke at home so and i don't have that many cigar friends by me at all so right um i don't know i mean there's at least a couple times you know two times a week or so depending on who's working you know i'll go and after work because i pass the shop going going home anyways you know i'll stop in there and usually at least kick it for a little bit and yeah i don't know like after after work most days depending on how chaotic it is like i i need sort of decomp like sure just kind of i don't whatever requires the least amount of thought and energy and just before i you know come home to crazy kid crazy dog all that stuff and yeah do you ever like okay this is this it, it revolves around the whole decomp thing right so obviously we have our animals to enjoy them because we love them. We love keeping them. We love learning about them. We love interacting with them, all of that. But we oftentimes will take time to observe them, right? Do you ever go in the room and like tell yourself, I'm not going to clean. I'm not going to spot clean. I'm not going to feed and just watch and just sit and watch. Um, not necessarily watch. Like sometimes I'll I'll hang out and watch the Ackies if they're out and about. Um, but normally if it's if it's sort of that kind of situation, I'll pull out 
you know, a rhino or something. And I'll like, I'll handle something like, yeah, yeah. It's nice. Cause it just, I, I just, I'm very much in my head a lot. Of course. You know, whether it's good or bad, I'm, I spend a lot of time in there and it's nice to have that distraction of, you know, pulling out one of the corns. I did that today. Like, I, you know, I was just hanging out in the room and, um, the female persimmon shed. So nice. know, I had to, had to take a look at her. She looks really good. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the rhinos, you know, it's just nice to pull, you know, just hang out with something for a little bit. Ackies sometimes too, you know, I don't yeah. mess with them as much as I was, uh, just because of time mostly. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's busy it's a lot, man. Weekends. It's a lot playing catch up and stuff but yeah it is i definitely try to make an effort to to sort of stop and actually you know quote unquote enjoy sure animals, sure you know yeah because i feel like there's it, it's also a different interaction um because if you're cleaning and you're feeding and you're spritzing and you're spot cleaning you're you're definitively interacting with said specimen right but if yeah. you just go and watch you'll it's it's just a different vibe man because it's almost some of the animals are like, all right, is he coming in here or is he not? Yeah. Or they're totally indifferent. They don't care if I'm there or not, you know? And I just, I, I think it's interesting to almost force myself to not do anything and just right. go and observe. And I, I feel like I, I can definitely decompress more doing that, I mean, especially with the venomous stuff. Well, there's, yeah, I mean, for sure. Like, there's also those those days, like Saturdays or Sundays, depending on what's going on, you know, that are cleaning days, and that's definitely, like, checking on everybody as I'm doing my thing, but it's also, like, cleaning, cleaning water bowls and, you know, 60-plus yearlings and, and smaller stuff. It's like, I need to get this knocked out as quick as possible to get to the other stuff I gotta get done, so. Yeah. Yeah. Just depends what there are sometimes where you know, I'm cleaning and I come across that blood red tessera that I'm, you know, that Chris sent me that I just got to stop. I'd be like, dude, this thing is nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Billy Jenkins says it best. You got to stop and smell the roses. Yeah. And I mean, even then, like, so there's a corn stars group chat thing on Instagram as well. If anybody's interested hit me up. Um, and it's myself and Chris and JT and Mindy, uh, Jeff Bong from Cascade, uh, a handful of us that are just into corns and like you know the Alex. corn stars, yeah, and and it's pretty much open open invite, but basically like we're sending pictures of of corn snakes and stuff to each other all the time. And so while I'm cleaning, I'm taking updates and and pictures and all the castagna stuff has been shedding, like all the younger stuff because everything's on the same schedule more or less, especially smaller stuff for feeding, and so everything tends to shed at the same time. Um. So, you know, as I'm getting those updates and, and those animals are shedding, I, you know, I got to snap a picture and send it to them and be like, you guys need to get on this morph because it's, it's freaking awesome. Heck yeah, brother. But then they're sending all the other stuff that's like just mind blowingly <laughs> awesome. And it's just, you know, it's a good time to check on everything, get pictures, you know, yeah, like the percent of my, like, I want to. I do want to post more of the persimmon stuff, but I also, uh, huh? No. Is something on fire? Oh. I thought that was an emergency for a second. 
Uh, I want to do more with the persimmon as far as like taking some pictures and videos, but they're just they're so high strong. I don't like to mess with them too much, but they are settling in really well. Um, they're growing like weeds, the female especially. Like they eat like champions. Haven't refused a meal since they came in. And excellent, uh, excellent. Yeah, they're doing really well. So I can't wait to get those set up in that in that black box uh, enclosure whenever me and Jake get up that way and get those. Get cool UV beans, on them. Matt says they'll they'll blue up a lot if I get them UV. Uh, UV. So well, nice. We'll he's got a he's got to hit me up about his cutter. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I uh, I, I told him he wanted. Like I messaged him and said, "Hey, you want the cutter?" So. Oh, nice. And I I don't know if Bill got his hook or not, he but did. I know it was delivered. So he got it. Okay, good, excellent, excellent. Good stuff. And what are we smoking this evening? As you light it so eloquently, eloquently, excuse me, eloquent, eloquent, yes. So over the weekend, I went up to Somerville with the family. Yes. And we went and visited Trey at Cold Bloody Caffeine. Nice, nice. To drop off a shirt order that he placed and to, you know, just check out the, the spot. Excellent, excellent. And, uh, McKendrick recently went to Cuba, which they actually just posted a video, I think today, uh, sort of highlighting that trip. McKendrick and another one of his buddies went and they, you know, um, Trey was like, oh, McKendrick got you a Cuban. Nice. So, giving this a whirl, the label with the dude on it says Monte Cristo Habana, but I haven't seen a label like that for a Monte Cristo, but... It's hard to argue that it's not a Cuban when he literally bought it in Cuba. in Cuba. So, <laughs> is it the same Monte Cristo logo with like a little arrowhead? No, no, it's not really. And that's that. I think is more of the Dominican stuff for Monte Cristo. That, right. that particular logo. I think the regular, like, well, not regular, but real Cuban Monte Cristos have sort of more traditional. It looks like a very vintage kind of label. Like yeah, something you'd see out of the seventies or something, but. Okay. No, Very cool. It might be this might be a, a tad dry, but it, it kind of whatever. Looks like, to be honest, I have no idea how long it had been in that tube and stuff before. It, dude, imagine it. if it was from the seventies. <laughs> it probably just turned to dust and explode as soon as I lit it. Nah. So I'm doing that, and then I also so I got some coffee while I was up there, and I have a big old cup of this Mexican. Um, I think it said he's Chiapas is where they're that particular bag of coffee came from. So very cool. Just crawling back to zero. Love it. I'm tired. I'm old. Good. I'm Drink fat. it in, brother. Drink it in. But that's cool, man. It's always awesome when you get Cubans from Cuba. Yeah. Cuba. And then pending time permits, I have a uh, Herrera Esteli. Drew Estate, which has become one of my solid go-tos, just the regular... That's the red and white? Yeah. Yeah, dude, red and white. That is such a good cigar. But I, I gotta be honest, man, the, the Tiffany Blue is still probably the, my favorite. Brazilian Maduro, yeah. Yeah, man, the Brazilian Maduro. Oh, Those have been just... a little hit and miss. Like, I've especially... I, I think I've mentioned it in the past, but, like, they come in a handful of different sizes, so there's a Corona, which is typically one of my favorite sizes in cigars. 
then there's the Toro. I think there's a Robusto. And then there's like a Petite Corona, which is like yeah. a shorter version of that. And, you know, I smoked the Toro and said, man, that's great. I bet you the Corona is really awesome. Smoked the Corona. And it is, it was not great. It was actually really, really, really bad. So I don't know. It could have been, I think I tried. Usually when I have an experience like that with the first, with the cigar the first time, I'll smoke it again later down the road. Right. Cause it might've been a fluke. Might've been a, uh, it's not, it is cold coffee. It's not hot coffee. If I drank hot coffee through a straw, I think that'd be a little, I'd, it's a little concerning. I'd, if I saw somebody they, doing that, I'd probably have to <laughs> tell the police they, or something. They make, they make aluminum straws. FYI. <laughs> yeah. I'm cold coffee, man. It's just an iced Americano, which is just coffee and water. Take that awesome espresso and then water it down with water and ice. Delicious. Works. But yeah, um, man. Herreras are awesome. Yeah, yeah. That Maduro, like that Brazilian Maduro and Toro is fantastic. Like that is a phenomenal smoke. But man, I tried it in some of those other sizes and for whatever reason, just didn't wasn't working. So But this Habano, it's uh it's a good it's a good blend i've tried it in some of the other sizes as well and i'm starting to wonder that with that line in particular it's just um you know Toro's just where those blends are sort of made to made to shine yeah what's the box press just below the toro on the herrera is that what they're calling a robusto like what, um, what, size, what size is the one you just had in your hand that's a toro that's a Toro. So then maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Those are the ones I typically smoke in the uh, Brazilian Maduro. Okay. And then wasn't there another, there was another There's... blue label that it was the same, almost Robin's Egg, Tiffany Blue, but it was a slightly different band. That's probably the Adobe. Adobe. Okay. Which is that Nika Rustica. Okay. Okay. Which that's, so like the Nika Rustica stuff is, is Drew, what's considered Drew Estate's like budget line. Um, okay, and they're freaking phenomenal. So that Adobe came out last year, and it's like eight fifty for a Toro. I think yeah, I was gonna say I think that's and, the one, dude. That is such a good cigar. I smoke the hell out of those. If someone said you can go buy a box of anything right now under, you know, twelve dollars, yeah, that would be the first box I grab is a box of those Adobes because I I love them. And even the the Connecticut Broadleaf is really good too. They're super. They throw off a lot of smoke, so if you're in like a smaller room, it kind of sucks. But uh, Nika Rustic stuff is is really, really, really good for the price. It's very hard to beat. Yeah, and then they do a they do a smaller bundle that's like ten sticks, right? And it's like in cellophane as like a brick. That's probably the factory smokes. Okay, no, 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 but it's still the Herrera. It's still Blue Label. I don't know. They know. have a factory smoke that is the sun grown that has a blue label, but it's not that same like Tiffany ish, okay. like lighter blue. Yeah, because the, the factory There's... smokes that, that I like is um it's I think it's a black and red label and it's yeah, a very Maduro. Maduro, okay. Yeah. The Connecticut is phenomenal for the price. I think that's like a three dollar smoke. The Connecticut factory smokes are really amazing, like stupid good for the money. Like ridiculous. The Sun Grown, I hated it. The Maduro, I wasn't crazy about it. But that Connecticut is fucking aces. So. Nice. Good. Let's see. LFD Cameroon and my father, LaGran Oferta. LFD Cameroon's pretty awesome. 
Yeah, I had that recently. Raj got in like two or three sizes. I tried that a couple weeks ago. I need to revisit it because, you know, when we get new stuff in, I, I try to, like, I want to, I'll smoke it at first. And then normally I want to give it a couple weeks before I smoke it again, just to give them some time to sort of breathe and, and, you know, rest a little bit. And I have noticed there are some where I smoke them initially and I'm not crazy about them, but then I come back to them, you know, three months later, a month later, whatever. And they've, they've definitely improved because they're just not nearly as harsh. And La Grande Oferta is one that I, I tried when those first came out and wasn't crazy about it and gave it the other two of three strikes and still just that's as far as my father goes, that's one of my, one of my least favorite that they do, but um, they were really popular. There's a ton of people that like them and maybe I, I just need to smoke it again and, and give it a shot. Yeah, man. You know what? I, uh, I was actually going through like deleting old apps on my phone just because there's so much crap on there. You know, you, you download an app that you think is going to be great and it turns out to suck and you forget to actually uninstall it. And, uh, I completely forgot about my cigar scanner. And I feel like that's a great app for people who want to just get into it because it's going to give you the general gist of the notes. It's going to give you the, the composition of each smoke. And it's got like a hundred thousand bands in their event in their like registry. So like you can take a picture of the band, even if it's like faded and gross, it'll still figure yeah. out what it is. And uh, so anybody who wants to get like more knowledgeable about what they might like or what they might want to try or like what other people are saying about other smokes, it download my cigar scanner. It's free. Well, that was something we saw a lot was you'd have guys come in. They're like, man, I smoked something a month ago. You know, I got it from this shop in Wichita and I can't for the life of me remember what it was. And they're asking me that as if I was supposed to somehow. Yeah. No, their mind. Yeah. And with got with with apps like that, you know, you can log what you smoke, and then you can, that helps you sort of remember these things if you're kind of just getting into it. And, um, you know, I try my best to help them out. You know, how dark was it? You know, do you remember the color of the band? Right. Is there anything you remember about the artwork on the band or something in particular to sort of sure know, grab onto? And, um, those apps just make make life easier. And there was a couple guys that would come in. And they'd be like, is there any way I can keep track of these things besides just taking pictures of the bands and filling up my, my gallery? And, you know, an app like that is, is a good good place to go because you can, I think you can even rate things. And so yeah. you can, it'll remember the ratings and you can rank, if you're looking for a cigar after a while, you can rank what you've smoked by by that or you can filter it by that rating. Yeah, and you could do your own personal rating. So you may rate a, I don't know, a, you can provide a number nine, right? A Toro. And you you find it and you rate it. And you say, man, I really like this. I'll give it five stars. And then you like hindsight. You're like, you know what? It was a really good cigar. I want to keep my rating, but I may put it lower on my list or higher on my list. And then you can set your own rating, which I think is great. And then you can even put your favorites. Mm -hmm. So if you don't feel like sit, standing there in the humidor looking like a, a noob or whatever, scrolling through your list of cigars you've smoked, your Rolodex of smokes, uh, you can just go to your favorites and be like, okay, these are the 10 that I like or whatever. And now you have a, an even better direction. So, and it's free, you know, and the, there is a social media aspect to it where you can link your social media and post stuff to like Facebook or whatever. But there's also like chats and story mode. It's nowhere near it as advanced as say Instagram or anything. Cause it's, it's a very niche app, but there's a lot of people on there and they'll, 
they'll comment on your photography if you want oh, to post yeah. a picture. Like it's fun, man. I forgot all about that app. Well, uh, I went so after we left Cold Blooded Caffeine on Saturday, we went over to the Reed residence, hung out with them, ate lunch, and we were there for actually a good bit. I think we got there just before one, and we were there. We didn't leave until like almost quarter to six, I think. Nice. So we hung out for a really good bit. Um, it's a really good time. Everyone was enjoying it. Uh, you know, Ellie went with us, and so her and Slate were running around and doing cool. their thing. And you know, he was super excited to have someone to hang out with. And nice, got to see some heliderms. And then he has that. Uh, is it a black mountain tortoise? He froze up. Damn it. I have to Google it. Yes, Burmese Black Mountain Taurus. So we had one that's about, let's say it was like five or so years old. And he keeps it outdoors. Uh, but what I thought was really interesting is in the setup, you know, I'd asked if, if, you know, it doesn't dig its way out of that or anything. And he said, no, like the Burmese uh, blacks don't dig their, they're not, they're not big diggers. They don't like to, to destroy things like a lot of the South American and, and African stuff do. Um, and this thing was, was pretty freaking rad. It, uh, they got like serious spikes and stuff on their legs. And I guess there's, a couple there's two like two different forms there's like a darker form and maybe a lighter form either way we let that kind of roam for a little bit and it's uh i think reed said like the fourth largest species of tortoise in the world but it's kind of the nice part of that is you don't have to worry about it destroying everything like you would with like a sulcata or something similar I don't know. It was cool. It would be nice to uh, to have something that, you know, a tortoise that gets a decent size that you don't have to worry about it plowing through your fence in the backyard and taking over your neighbor's yard or destroying the foundation of your house. Ah, wouldn't be Monday without internet connection issues. That's right. It's talking about Reed's uh, Black Mountain. His tortai. Yeah. Things badass, dude. Very cool. Super cool turtles. So does he have it in, in like an enclosure or is it just in the yard or what? No, he's got like a um, an outdoor sort of setup for it. And he takes it out and lets it roam for a bit when I guess they're hanging out in the backyard. And um, he let it nice. roam and it would just go to like little patches of grass throughout the yard and just eat. <laughs> it's cool. It's a really, really cool species. Um I don't know if you heard it before you left, but he, I saw the setup and I was like, man, you don't have to worry about them digging out of that or anything like that. And he said, they're not diggers. Like they're not. Wow. They're, and it's, I mean, there was no signs of it even trying to dig a, you know, a burrow or anything in that enclosure. So he's like, yeah, man. He's like, they're just not, they just kind of wander around and do their thing. And they're not big on den, denning or den sites or anything. So 
Very cool. But cool, cool species. Yeah, that's great, man. And you got some Gila time? Some beaded I saw time? His, I saw his Gila's. I saw the beaded's. They were kind of just doing their thing. I think he's still, they're still kind of warming up a little bit. He's sort of feeding them a little heavier now and getting them into the, into the swing of things. And, um, yeah, those beaded are, the beaded are cool. The beaded are pretty. He had some really nice healers. Um, awesome. Still not sure. So Katie saw him too. Right. And the first thing she said was, that's big. Oh, geez. I was like, oh, okay. So I don't know exactly what's going to happen there. I, if I do it, I want to do it right. I want to be able to give them, you know, a setup that, that really works. That's appropriately sized and just. Yeah, you want to do it right. want to do it right. Can't blame you. And I think currently, you know, honestly, I don't know that right now I can I can do that. Just because yeah. space is space is space. Yeah. Yeah, it's always hard to get something from someone else where you knew that they were in a mansion and then you put them in a modest home. And even though it may be perfectly fine for them, it still has that feeling of being off, you know. What's uh, what's been going on down there? Uh, not too much, man. Not too much. I um, Status quo as normal. I didn't know if anybody saw my last minute Instagram story, guess the species, the shed. But uh, it's interesting how the room definitely gets a, a rhythm, right? And just mm-hmm. stuff shedding all at the same time. And uh, a lot of the fossorial stuff is slowly getting on the same schedule. I mean, it might be a couple days off, might be a week or two off, but it's really interesting. And they shed way more than everything else that I've got. Um, but other than that, man, normal normal status quo stuff. Um, uh, the good Dr. Wyman is in my neck of the woods currently. Him and the fam came down for his wife's birthday. And they have some family down here that they're going to be visiting. And I know they're going up uh, north to Jacksonville area, visit some more people. But uh, we went out in the glades, and I know he really wanted to find a pygmy, and I took him to my one pygmy spot, but they're doing a lot of cane harvest this time of year. Um, and even though March is probably, March and April is like the really good time to get pigs because a lot of the males are on the move. Um, but where we were, it was just heavily traveled, and even though it was a good hot day, it may have been a little too early. So we left that spot, and then we actually went to, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, one of the WMAs by me that's basically the northern cusp of the Everglades. So it's still like rivers of grass, but it's not Everglades National. You know what I mean? It's it's typically when I say, oh, I'm going to the Glades, this is where I'm going. And showed them some scenery and saw some birds and saw a ton of alligators, man. Probably the most alligators I've seen in a night in a really long time. Um, and I don't know if it's because of the time of year. I don't know if it's because of the temperatures, but the water line was also really, really low on most of the main canals. And uh, they basically have these giant pump houses, these giant pump stations to regulate the canal height. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they can lower the water level, crap, I don't know, six to eight feet in a matter of a couple hours. So wow. they, they really regulate that stuff. And, and 
it's great for humans because we rarely have flooding issues and when hurricanes come the water's dispersed appropriately and so on and so forth but it's also kind of messed up for the ecosystem because if you have animals that were uh riverbank species or, or canal bank burrowing species they may get dried out or they may get flooded out and not know it you know like on, at any given moment so it's kind of crappy for them but the water was really low and we saw a lot of gators and i don't want to i don't want to talk too much about it because i'd like to have the good doctor on in the near future and go, go more in depth with him about it but it was definitely cool and i know he got some crazy photography he's gonna go through a bunch of photos he took with an actual camera not a cell phone and uh his eldest came with us and she was loving it too and uh we want to find a handful of ribbon snakes and then a handful of Nerodia. Um, no mammals, but it was also a really, really bright moon. So I don't know if that had something mm -hmm. to do with it. But uh, it would have been nice to find a little more diverse species of snakes. But at least we saw stuff, man. You know, it could have been it could have been a skunk night. So is that cane harvesting? Is that like a everywhere kind of thing this time of year? Or is that just that? Particular oh, no, no. It's <clears throat> so. One of my best pygmy spots is a county road that goes through agricultural land mm -hmm. and it's all sugarcane. And then on either side of that county road, so that county road is paved. And then on both the left and right side of the road is a canal with a dirt levee next to that. So I'll run circuits and just road cruise and I'll get out and hike it too. Um, yeah. that, you remember the scary house that Casey and I? Yeah. Were, yeah. Okay. It's, it's that area, right? And uh, they do these big paddock harvests every like every other year or every three years where they just run the cane trucks 24 seven. And most of the time they'll take uh, like noon to five o'clock. There won't be running just because it's so damn hot. Um, but those cane trucks, they run all night long in the darkness. And I mean, you'll have uh, I'll try to describe it as a, a lot of Herbers know about the Australian road trains. You know, these giant, you know, huge semi trucks with I don't even know how many cars it is, 10 cars, out of, 10 trailers. I have no idea. Um, it's basically one of those, but filled to the brim. It's got a giant cage as the trailer, and that cage is filled to the brim with harvested sugarcane. It's like those FEMA, FEMA trucks. Bigger. Oh, damn. Yeah, very, very similar, but, but, but bigger. And. It's crazy because I would uh, the speed limit's like 55 on these back roads, and there's a canal on either side of you. So like if you go off the road, oh you're in the canal, you're done. And uh, the old running joke is uh, not running joke, but an old saying that a lot of the the cane guys from South Bay is uh, that you don't wear a seatbelt ever because when you're on the cane roads, you never wear a seatbelt because if you go into a canal, you you're out. not you're not getting out. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, the speed limit's 55. Sometimes it's 45. I never go more than like 45 just because, A, we're looking for snakes and frogs yeah. and toads and stuff. But it's because some of the turns are like steep. Some of them are at an angle because the, the pavement's, you know, 60 years old. And, dude, these semi-trucks, they'll be filled to the brim with cane and they'll be booking it going like 65, 70. It's, time it's, is money. It's Time is money, man. It's crazy. Um. But the, I was trying to show doc, this to Dr. Wyman is that uh, I guess when they plant the cane and someone who's a botanist, please correct me if I'm wrong. But over the years, they learned that the sugar cane saps 
uh, a lot of nutrients out of the soil. And in this area, South Florida, it's a very light, sandy soil, except for the wetland areas. The wetland areas have uh, a more of like a sandy muck. And with a side of mercury and lead. <laughs> yeah, right. So this. Somebody's yelling at me across the tennis courts. Um, this like sandy muck. uh when the cane grows, it sucks the nutrients out. And I don't know if it's nitrates or nitrites, but one of them, it, it saps it out. And then when they harvest, what they'll do is they'll go in with like a tractor type combine kind of thing. And they chop the cane at the stalk. And there'll probably be about that much left over. And field a, of punji sticks. Basically, basically, yeah. And which is super cool because right after they do it, a million bazillion shorebirds and ibis and spoonbills and wood storks they all come because now they can eat the bugs and all the crazy life that's living at the bottom of this mm -hmm. you know field of grass right um so then at that point now they've harvested it they need to burn off all those little store all those little stalks so they do what's called a muck fire and when they'll basically do a control burn and they'll torch the entire paddock in a circle and bring it into the center and just burn the whole paddock right and what that's going to do is it's going to burn off all the vegetation on the top and then pull nutrients from the soil up because of the oxygenation of it. Right. Mm -hmm. But those nitrogens or, or excuse me, nitrates or nitrites that are being removed, they're gone. So they need to put them back in. So for right. the longest time, they were adding um, like an actual black soil like we would buy, you know, like potting mm -hmm. type soil. But, dude, we're talking millions and millions of acres. So somebody figured out that if you plant sod, it puts those nutrients back in. So now what they do is it, they'll have a, a season of cane, they'll harvest it, then they'll plant sod, let the sod grow to length, then harvest the sod, and now they're making double the money, oh, right? Yeah. Because now and it may take, I, I don't know how long it takes cane to get to the appropriate height to chop it down. But if it, let's say it takes two years to, or maybe three years to grow that height, well, now you have two or three years, two or three seasons of sod putting the nutrients back in and making money. So there's these crazy rolling fields of neon green because it's either the brand new cane growing in that's neon green or it's, it's sod. It's beautiful, crisp, radiant sod. It's, it's crazy. And I would love to share a video, but I don't know if StreamYard is going to shut me down. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's really smart on their part because, I mean, you're you're making the most out of a certain area of land, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And nothing's waste not, want not kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Give me, a, give me like two seconds to find the video of the, the fields, and I'm going to send it to you on the THN chat. And it, you can throw it up that way. My crap won't, won't okay. die on me. Hold on. Let's. asking a lot when you have StreamYard open and then try to open Facebook. Even my computer is usually like, what are you doing to me?
do did you freeze up again? No, no, you're good. Bark twice if you're in Milwaukee. Look at that glorious shot of Florida in its natural state. So that's actually um, that's actually Dr. Wyman and his daughter. And if you look at them on the left side across the canal, I don't know if you could zoom in, but you'll see a, a, a like an eight foot gator curled up on top of a giant boulder. It's pretty crazy. I don't think I can zoom in. Yeah, I mean, that's a bummer because, I mean, look at how nice that, that whole road is. And you guys didn't. Did you find anything on that? Yeah, so that sure. road is um that road we found some Nerodia on. And then what's behind, like, I'm looking at my driver window right now. What's behind mm -hmm. me is where we found some uh, some ribbon snakes. So I'm actually sending, I just sent you a video. And then I'm sending you one more video of the, the cane fields just to kind of give people an idea of like what we're talking about when we talk about like these are just crazy crazy prairies of grass but everything's underwater secretly underwater <laughs> do you notice is there a correlation to like when you're cruising when you have a canal that's full of gators like that do you find less snakes and other stuff no not at all no nah I i've never i've never had any kind of correlation with the amount of gators in the water to the amount of animals on the land. Um, now, don't get me wrong. If there's like 10 or 15 gators on the canal bank sunning themselves, I doubt that any mammal is going to go anywhere near there. But right. I mean, I've seen it where there's been, you know, 15 or 20 deer on the levee road and there's three or four gators in the water, just hoping one gets close enough, you know, get him, Steve. Yeah. Right. Grab him. And no, people, we did not find a Burmese python. Oh, shucks. Speaking of, Phil was on uh, Herp Talk Radio recently discussing that very, that very subject in brief. I was. I was gonna. I was gonna bring that up in a little bit. Get some people to listen. You know, Dude, that's weird. That reminds me of that. That like windows screensaver yeah i don't know why it's so laggy why is it why is it so laggy i don't know is it yeah it's, it's not yeah, for me oh it's super laggy for me at least watching on Streamyard. i mean it looks like oh, it's there, moving on. Uh, okay well people if it's laggy tell us skylar said you're going to the wrong spot we'll we'll, we'll talk off air skylar because uh I'd be interested. Prove me wrong. Look at those, so those guys. Those are pink spoonbills. Like Satan worshippers. The this video is actually from back in summer, and that lake that's there is actually a cane field that accidentally got flooded. So something happened, and I guess there was some some flooding in other areas. So because that field had not been reseeded or sodded, 
they basically take these giant mobile water pumps and they just suck all the water out of one paddock and pump it into a, a barren one like that. What so naturally, pain. those spoonbills are just like in heaven. That's wild. Yeah. And I mean, we're, we're on top of the levee for this video. Um, and again, it looks really laggy on my screen. Forgive me if it is, guys. Um, but that cane that you see is well over six feet tall. Is it really? Yeah, because we're up in elevation. So you're, you're looking, I mean, we're probably 30 feet up from that, from where that canal is. Um, but like that right there, see how there's like brown sprouts at the bottom? Yeah. That's all like at least six foot plus. Wow. Yeah. Huh. And I mean, this is this is one area. You know, there's millions right. of acres of this. Yeah, Florida is the second largest producer of sugar in the world, only second to Virginia, Queensland, Australia. Oh, which is why I was going to say Delaware, and <laughs> not quite. Which is why South Florida and Queensland Australian have an invasive cane toad problem, hence the name cane toad. That's why it gets the name cane toad. Australia said we're not going to suffer alone. Uh, no, I think that when the Australian government released the cane toads to eat the beetles, Florida said, oh, man, that's a great idea. They got these toads from South America. They're going to eat all the bugs. Let's just let them go in our cane fields, too. They get the size of a cantaloupe. Hell yeah, brother. Exactly. <laughs> Sanchez said that's where the DNR grows the propaganda. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, man. There's actually a hatch in the middle of that field that goes down into an underground bunker where they grow the propaganda berms. Yes. Yes. Exactly. So... But what's funny is uh, uh, that cane that you just saw, that's probably, oh, geez, 30 miles north of the highest point that berms have been recorded. So, I mean, it's not impossible that they might make their way up that way, but who knows? I've seen a lot of funky stuff out in them cane fields, man. Funky humans, funky birds, seen black bear. So. See that's so I find that really bizarre because we don't have black bear here, but if you go upstate, they're there. Yeah, even like up in I think like Charleston, which is only an hour and change from me, they found some. But for some reason, I'm thinking those that particular sort of population in that area is like not supposed to be there, but somehow got there. I don't know exactly what the backstory is there, but you would think. I mean, I think we have we have bobcats, but I've never seen one. Yeah, um, I'm not complaining that we we don't have black bears, but yeah, exactly. Well, and it's interesting. So uh, <clears throat> our counties in my neck of the woods are really big, like really, really big. Um, probably two to three times, if not four times, the size of the average American county, excluding some of the western states. Um, so, like when people think Palm Beach, they think of West Palm Beach, the city. It's only like the urban Box area. <laughs> Yeah, Loxahatchee, the only like truly urban and suburban areas is only the far eastern third of the county. And then the more west you go, the more suburbia it gets. And then by the time you get to that third third, it's straight up ag and it's just all cane, all yeah. of it. Um, 
and I've only ever seen one black bear in Palm Beach County. It was actually with Anna Maria. We were road cruising that same road, actually. And uh, this, there's this thing on the side of the road. And I was like, what the hell is that? And at first, I thought it was like a really, really fat raccoon. Because, you know, sometimes raccoons get like that brownish tinge to them. Yeah. And then the raccoon stood up and it was like five feet tall. And I was like, oh, oh that's a bear. And it was a very straggly, scrawny bear. But he was in the cane fields eating something. So, I mean, every other black bear that I've seen in Florida has been the traditional husky, jet black, you know, kind of waddles when they run, you know. <laughs> when we went to the Jacksonville Zoo, they had had a black bear that was just chilling there, sleeping like right in front of the glass. I remember looking at that and being like, just thinking of Texas, being like, yeah, those things are a little, little more menacing when there's not glass between you and them. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, I know yeah. black bears in, in, in the grand scheme, they're like the alligators of the bear world. Like, there's way worse things right, that we right. unfortunately don't have to deal with. But I was, like, looking at that bear. I'm like, damn, that thing's big. And I was like, it was probably a little bigger than the one I saw in, at Lost Mine. But I have a sort of a newfound respect uh, for, for black bears after that. It was like, yeah, that's a, yeah. it's, not a it's not a small animal. You know, and, and Patrick's saying that when he was in the 90s, they would catch, you know, 50 cane toads in an hour. And uh, I don't doubt it at all, because on some nights out in those very same cane paddocks, you know, we'll we'll pull off the side of the road and kind of like walk into the cane, especially if there's like some natural clearings, you know, where trucks pulled over and ran a bunch of it over or what have you. Um, and you'll put your foot down and there will be thousands of froglets or toadlets excuse me and really? it, 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 it it's almost like when you flip the light switch on all the cockroaches scatter it's worse than that the ground Just, moves the ground moves yeah yeah and I, I bet you if you if you had like a bass net and just went real quick you'd probably catch 200 in your bass net it's crazy why do you think that the, like the cane toad thing hasn't been as much of an issue like ecologically hasn't been as disastrous as it has been in Australia because I feel that the animals in Florida that are capable of preying on those toads have either evolved to and this is completely anecdotal completely but I personally feel like they have evolved to almost learn how to eat them I also feel that if you don't eat them past the neck, you're good. Well, I know. So I've watched pygmy rattlesnakes, duskies in the wild hunting, right? Countless times. And you know, you, you come up on a pig in situ, whether you're walking, hiking, whatever, and especially on the road. So a lot of times what we'll do is if we don't see a lot of snakes on the road because the road got cool too quick or it got a little too late. We'll, we'll gently walk the shoulder of the road and you'll see pigs in the grass or, or on right on the cusp of the pavement, like right where the pavement meets the grass and some of the grass kind of hangs yeah. over the pavement. And you'll see them do their head twitch and they're, they're watching the beetles that are walking by. They're watching some of the flying insects land in front of them. And I've seen it where a pygmy tagged a cane to a baby cane toad that was probably the size of its head. And the cane toad went uh, 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 and kind of fell over and died instantly. And now the snake got spooked by me 
and walked away. Right. But I, I, I went and I examined that toad and it had not excrete. It had not excreted. Is that the right word? It didn't, it didn't let out any poison mm -hmm. that I could visually see. And at the same time, it's proven through scientific papers and such that the smaller the toad, typically the less toxin that they're going to let out as well as the potency of the poison. And again, this is purely so anecdotal. They're eating them younger and they're, which is sort right. of population control in a in a sense just sort of a i mean you're never you're never going to control it it's oh it's, for sure it's never yeah but and then to keep it from getting worse in a sense like because things are eating them with barns less of right. a risk like that is sort of right odd workaround to yeah to controlling them to a degree sure sure and i mean don't get me wrong you may have a juvenile rat snake that eats a juvenile cane toad gets really sick in the stomach throws it up and says to himself man I'm never eating that again. Or you may have a juvenile rat snake that eats a toad and goes, man, it made my tummy feel a little funny, but there's a lot of them. So I'm just going to eat some more and kind of, I don't want to say develop some immunity to it. Again, purely anecdotal, but I feel like there is a certain level in which the animals have either learned or adapted to cope with it. However, if you have like a fully adult corn snake and it grabs a, an adult cane toad, it's it's probably it's gonna tough. die. Yeah, yeah. And I, I see Marcus is in here, and Marcus has observed a lot of stuff eating cane toads and being perfectly fine. I mean, crap. There's also rumors of, of Marcus has probably put him on the grill a couple times. Yeah, he has. <laughs> There's also uh, some some anecdotal nonsense about smaller dogs licking them, almost as a, 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 a trip. Yeah. So I mean, I wouldn't try it with my dog. But I've heard of other people doing that. Yeah, I wouldn't be willing to roll those dice. Right. Exactly. But I also think that the cane toads in Australia get much larger than ours. And it would not shock me if the amount of them dispersed the way that they are is a direct effect because even though we have so many cane toads in the urban areas and so many cane toads in the agricultural areas, when you go to the natural areas like the state parks and the wildlife management areas and the wetland protected areas and the federal reserves like Big Cypress and those sorts of large federal parks, you really don't see cane toads. Hmm. So, yeah, you, you really don't see them. Um, and, and, and that's, it, it's good. I, I hope it stays like that. You know, if they're sequestered to the agricultural areas and the suburbs and the urban environments, then great. Awesome. Um, you know, it's better than, it's better than not, I guess. So. Yeah, man, the whole invasive stuff in Florida and like in general, you know, I know you've talked about it previously and it's one of those things where it's like if you're watching the news like of course they're going to make it sound like the sky is falling oh yeah, i know like the first every time i mention at the cigar shop kind of going back to that and sitting around talking to a lot of strangers um and having extended conversations with them you know mention the snake thing or they ask about a tattoo you know one of the tattoos or something like oh you like snakes i'm like yeah and they're like you know oh my cousin had one of those big pythons that's taken over the glades and I always told him it's like that's not like it's not nearly as severe 
it's not as widespread, first of all, as the news makes it seem like you're talking about a, in the grand scheme of the state and real estate. It's not that big of an area that they're that they're in. Um, but then like the Tegu thing and lionfish. I don't know. Like, it's just when you hear these things, man, it just the news is always making it sound like. Oh, yeah. We're all on some sort of crazy timeline where it's like if we don't get rid of these things, like everything we know and love is going to dissolve. Well, and see, and here's here's my biggest gripe. And and this is actually something that it never really. I don't want to say it didn't occur to me, but it, it never slapped me in the face so much as it did when I started doing research on reef geckos. And there's some I'm going to keep names out of it, keep schools out of it. But there's some local reef universities. Geckos. Reef geckos, yeah. Spirodactylus? No? Drawing a blank. Spirodactylus are a small uh, terrestrial and arboreal gecko species. They're in the dwarf gecko clade, and they're mostly found in the Caribbean. Um, a lot of them come out of Cuba and surrounding islands, and then we have two species in Florida. One of them is the Cuban or the ashy. Um, I don't remember the species name specifically. Forgive me. They're really, really pretty. Um, it's believed that they were introduced to the Keys probably in the 1600s. Oh, yeah. I've seen those before. Right. And then you have a, a natural Florida one, which is the, the Florida reef gecko, which is kind of a, um, a mottled brown, almost tree bark looking gecko. Why do they call them reef geckos? Because they live on the coral embankments on the beach where uh, there used to be reefs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's, uh, several students, undergrads, PhD students, whatever you want to call it. I don't know exactly in my local area that have been doing a lot of research on the Florida reef gecko. And they're basically pulling together a correlation between the gecko and sea grape. And it's pretty much a known fact that the Florida reef geckos only inhabit areas that contain sea grape plants and they're trying to figure out if it has something to do with the waxy leaves that decay a certain way that bring a certain bug that the gecko eats or maybe it's the the waxy film on the on the stems and the leaves themselves that decompose to make suitable soil for uh, incubation they're trying to figure this out but they're basically saying that um because of and and this is what gets me because of climate change, the reef gecko habitats are dwindling. Now, I am not against climate change. I am not a denier of it. It is there. I'm not being that guy. But do you think the earth is flat too, don't you, Wolf? Uh, absolutely. It's gotta actually got to gotta get what, to the edge. Look, big agriculture doesn't want you to know it's actually a cube. It is a cube. For sure. the, the lament configuration from Hellraiser. That's what we're living yes, on. Yes, exactly. We are Pandora's box. Um, so yeah, so I'm not denying climate change at all. Don't don't make me don't make me that guy. However, it's not, it's not yeah, let's we're not taking it there. Right. However, I find it very hard to believe that because of rising seas, that these reef gecko habitats are being flooded or destroyed when you have hundreds of thousands of acres of beachfront property being bulldozed and excavated and rerouted with uh, uh, underwater dredging to make 
mansions and sky rises and luxury beaches condos, for people to visit and condos. Right. And here's the other problem, too, is that these students that are researching this, to the best of my knowledge, they're going to natural areas that are state parks and protected areas. And, you know, uh, there's a lot of sand dunes that are protected because of the grasses that grow there and the sea grapes right. themselves. Right. And they're going to these naturalist areas, but they're not accessing people's backyards who own the beachfront property. They're not accessing the hotel's backyards. They're not accessing the resort's backyards. And I'll bet money that if you did get access, if you could weasel your way in there and be like, excuse me, multi-billion dollar condo association, I would like to wander around your beachfront property crepuscularly to look for a almost protected gecko. I bet you you would find a lot of them because there's sea grape everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not. Well, why do you think they're finding it in the what they would find it in those areas and not the parks and things like that? No, no, I'm no, uh, I, it doesn't. I'm not denying the fact that the parks ones are going lower and lower in in um, uh, population, but I feel like there's billions of more geckos. Than they're letting on because they don't have oh, access okay, to that property. Oh, okay. Because they're just not going there. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, and, and here's my thing: if life finds a way, right, Doctor mm -hmm. Ian Malcolm, you bulldoze the beach, right? You then take brand new sea grape and you plant it there because a, the state's going to give you a tax write-off, right, for natural plants and crap, and b, it looks attractive, and c, it blends in with the other natural plant life that's there. You don't think those geckos are going to migrate from left to right and right to left to go to that new resort? They're going to. The same way that the anoles do, the same way that the curly tails do, the same way that the seagulls do, right? So I am not denying that certain areas where the reef geckos inhabit are being eroded because of rising sea levels and climate change. I'm not denying that. But I feel like there's a hell of a lot more geckos than we know because no one's checking these private properties that they don't have access to. You know what I mean? Yeah. So to tie this back into the whole invasive species thing, um, I look at the, this, this reef gecko issue, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think to myself, the lionfish are a threat to our reef a thousand percent. And humans are doing a fantastic job of culling them. I mean, I think it's just kind of pure luck that they're they happen to be delicious. It is. It really is pure luck <laughs> and delicious. I mean, if that's they a, tasted that's a like fact. like crap, it'd probably be way worse. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, but even still, if we doubled our efforts to call them every year, it would still take decades to oh, yeah. eradicate. Right? I don't think. I don't. You have to look at it from sort of a statistical standpoint, like the number of people that sure. are actually working to eradicate versus how many each fish reproduction wise. Like, right. I think it gets to a point that uh, we've seen it with iguanas, you know, towards like, do whatever you want. You're not getting rid of them. Yeah, they exactly. Are, they are a, they are a part of the landscape now. Yes. Just like squirrels and finches and whatever yes. other native, like they're here. That's it. So, but to go along with that, the iguanas have been here for like 60 or 70 years. The lionfish haven't. So if we if we keep going, I, I foresee it being better than the iguanas, but it could be worse if we're not careful. But again, the, the whole going back to this lionfish thing, right? So everyone's so afraid and concerned with the lionfish 
and them destroying our reefs when at the same time we dump toxic chemicals we erode beaches we find a reef that died because of human encroachment and we say well it's dead we might as well dredge it and use that crushed coral to make you know roads yeah so they're not talking about that because it's not scary and it's also not it's not glamorous well, at all. The the biggest thing with that, I it, you know, I think is who's going to say no to developing these these things when there's money to be had. Exactly, a thousand percent. Like I, it's it's happening here, even in Beaufort. I mean, like they're they're continually clearing really really big plots of land and putting a bunch of stuff that we honestly don't need. Yeah, you know, everyone talks about small business and stuff like that. And it ends up being like, oh, we're getting an Aldi's, hooray! Oh, we're getting, a, you know, Quiznos or whatever. And it's just like, we don't need that. Yeah, you know, there's no real, there's no real need for these things. But somehow they're getting the okay to go ahead and just level all this stuff. And it's like, good luck stopping that. You know, I yeah. hate to be that guy, but it's like. When you have someone who cares, uh, be it, you know, these these companies that are building these things and these, they may not even live here, but they're the ones putting in bids on those la- on the on the land and things like that. It's uh, it's like you can't convince them, even if it's only, I don't know, like fifty acres, like that's still a lot. Not even necessarily herp related, but general wildlife, like everything has to go somewhere. Right, carrying capacity. And so it's it's like you're not going to convince those people that that 50 acres is more important than whatever paycheck they're going to get from it. Right. right. So that or the, to or me the is people the, that need to live there. That's the source, in my opinion, of, of a lot of the problems is, is you know, all the D.R. Horton or whoever else that builds these massive subdivisions and stuff like that. Like, they don't care. Right. Right. Like, that's money. And there's the if they ha- I I have no doubt that if they had the option to clear everything they possibly could and cram as many cookie cutter homes into these areas as possible they would of course of course and you know we have the big live oaks and stuff here too which are protected like if you cut one down like there are massive fines and stuff but when you're dealing with these bigger companies half the time they're like we'll take the fine yeah you got the money it's nothing a couple extra grand because we cut down a tree we weren't supposed to yeah big whoop yeah like oh it's 300 years old Give me the bill. Yeah. You know, exactly. it's just like there's no real no real consequence to yeah. it. Yeah. And it, it sucks. Well, just to to go back to what we were saying about the 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 issues of the media showing something that is scary yet glamorous, right? It's it's eye appealing, it's intriguing, it's captivating lionfish are all those things but reef dredging is not so you know what's really destroying our barrier reefs our coastal reefs is it lionfish or is it you know massive dumping uh uh, power plant runoff agricultural runoff all that jazz uh just trying to formulate my thoughts real quick the every single inlet and every single port on the Atlantic side of Southern Florida has to be dredged and resanded yearly because of the way that the tides go 
it would remove earth from the north side of the jetty and deposit it on the south side. Well, if you're not careful, you're not going to have a north side of the jetty anymore, and you're going to have a giant landmass on the south side. So every year or throughout the year, they take sand from the south and put it back on the north. And that's just the, you know, the ebb and flow of the, the, the coast, right? But when you take away a reef, now it's even worse because now your tidal breaks are different. Your yep. animals aren't there. The sand, the underwater erosion, the riptide, the undertow, all that is changed, and it's making everything worse. But no one cares about that on the news. They care about iguanas ransacking people's yards. That's what they care about. I think so. it's it's just an easier target. Yeah, it's easy, like, like it's Lisa easy, said. It's easier to get people on board with that kind of stuff instead of like, hey, maybe we should show up at some of these uh, you know, county meetings where they're looking for people to vote uh, don't even get me started thing. man don't even get me started because they do these meetings in the middle of nowhere oh yeah in an unpopulated part of the state on a tuesday afternoon Tell everyone last three minute. o'clock yep, yep. Yeah, that's how they do it here too yeah man i can't i can't but yeah i'm not denying there's i'm not denying burmese pythons i'm not denying tegus i just I have to tell people that it's not as it's not as bad as the media makes it out to be. It's still bad. It's still really bad. But I really do take pride in having never seen a berm in the wild. And if someone wants to show me, I'll go. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I would love to see it. I think it'd be cool as hell. You know, Eric Burke always talks about how amazing it is to see a python in the wild. You know, but we'll see. I have not seen the basilisk research. That's another one that's everywhere, really? but no one cares because it really doesn't impact the ecosystem on a on a on a visual level. But yeah, brown basilisk and green basilisk everywhere. So yeah, it just and part of me wonders too, like how much of it is just what like Florida is sort of a perfect storm in terms of just general climate that it works for so many things. Yeah, you know, a very large percentage of of species globally just so happens that florida is kind of prime real estate where they could they could do fine you know sure so it's like even if laws had been put in place and legislation had been dropped you know long before realistically would that have stopped anything i don't think so i don't think it would have no because especially with florida being sort of hurricane central pretty much every year like it's the first like Aside from the Caribbean, it's it's the first state to get whatever's you know wh- whichever storm is is here, um, right? And and you know, to be honest, like how much of that has played a part? Because I've heard you know the the story or or myth of you know I think it was Andrew leveling. Oh, for, it was for sure. It's like okay, well, how much of that was a very large part of? being where we are now and it's like no one could have done anything about that laws couldn't have done anything well the the whole thought is if the berms weren't there to begin with then you wouldn't have the problem right which is which is it's true but it's bullshit and at the same time we would have ended up somewhere right and it could have been anything man It, it could it could have been any animal you know what i mean it just happened to be berms and what's interesting is they they trace it back to andrew but there's research done on berms caught from collier county 
and berms caught from Dade County. And they have different DNA of locality. Basically saying that the berms in Collier are from a different part of Asia than the berms in mm-hmm. Dade. And I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's not to say that, that oh, you know, there was nothing that we could have done anyways. So, you know, it's whatever. It, it, it is what it is. Just carry on business as usual. But it's like if you would have, it does, does it really matter when the outcome would have been more or less the same? You know, I have a very hard time believing that the, the problems that we, that Florida has now are the direct result of people releasing pets. Because I don't know about you, I don't know that many people outside of Herps that would just decide to release their ball python. Well, see, and that I'll argue. Um, I'll, I'll, we'll have a little reptile fight club here for a split second. It pains me to say this, but there's a lot of people that are ignorant and don't care. For sure. And do, and and it's not that they don't care; it's that they don't think they're doing a bad thing because they're ignorant and they let stuff go. But if it was that big of a problem, you would have way more species established, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like the animals that are extremely prevalent as an invasive species are typically not pets. True. Most people are not keeping curly tails. Most people are not keeping 10 different species of Caribbean annuls. Most people are not keeping brown basilisks, green basilisks, maybe, but but not in the levels that they've established here. You know what I mean? And then you look at certain things like uh, Agama species from Africa. Now, granted, they could be from importers in the 60s that imported a bunch of redheaded Agamas and Spider-Man yeah. Agamas, and they may have gotten loose and established. Who knows? But again, that's not a normal, it's not a leopard gecko. It's not a bearded dragon. You see what I'm getting at here? You know, and, and fish is probably infinitely worse. And the, the rumor is that the see, Florida, and that I can see people yeah. being like, oh, you're a saltwater fish. Here's the Atlantic. Right. And and that's the thing that a lot of people don't talk about is that everyone's so fixated on the herpetological invasive species that the fish kind of just get poo-pooed. Mm-hmm. And there are so well, many invasive the fish. There is people aren't actively seeing the fish. Right. You know, like they yep. may be swimming, they may be at the beach, but they ain't, they're not seeing those things. And it's I'm not, not even like, talking it's not like iguanas. And, and it's not even the saltwater people because the saltwater people, they paid a lot of money for those fish and they want to keep them alive. And saltwater people, I feel like are way more attentive. It's the big box pet shops that were selling African and South American freshwater tropical fish. Mm-hmm. And people say, you know what? My 10 year old doesn't care about these you know, uh, uh, Midas cichlids anymore. Eh, I'll just dump them in the canal. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't know. As far as just as herps go, you know, berms in particular, I just, I have a hard time believing that where we are currently is because of people releasing pets. Right. I agree. I I am so much more on board with the hurricane theory because that well, just makes and, so much more sense being here i've seen hurricanes i've seen what they do like matthew yeah. back in like 2015 dude oh yeah that was nuts that's the worst hurricane we've had here in a minute and i like seeing everything and the damage it did considering it was like what 12 hours of storm that we got before it kind of moved on like yeah. it's wild 
And it totally makes sense that if you're down there in South Florida and, and a really nasty, you know, cat four, cat five hurricane, not that we see those super often, but having that come through, like I can see that being a major catalyst for a lot of that stuff happening. Yeah. And there's, there's actually a bunch of hurricanes from the 1930s that killed hundreds of thousands of people. Um, I would just look it up because I was trying to remember the name of the exact hurricane that um, it flooded Lake Okeechobee and like 70,000 people died. And that's why after that hurricane, they made the Lake Okeechobee levee, which is basically a giant dirt wall around the entire lake. And I mean, this is this is like it's not a great lake, but it's a massive lake, lake. It's the lar- largest body of water in the southeast U.S. And. You, you, when you're like on a bridge, you can't see the other side. It's it's out there, right? And now because of locks and levees, they control how much water is actually in the lake. But prior to that levee being there, I mean, dude, the devastation, like hundreds of miles under feet and feet and feet of water. Um, but going back to what you're saying, yeah, the hurricane could be absolutely devastating, but we forget about all of the supplemental issues that could have resulted in an invasive species. For example, South Florida is a melting pot and the majority of it is Caribbean. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people bringing their business from the Caribbean to America. You know, the melting pot, the land of of the good and the plenty, right? The the roads paved with gold or whatever the phrase is. Well, if I'm a Bahamian contractor, right? And I have access to beautiful Bahamian granite, right? I'm going to mine the crap out of it. I'm going to put it on a boat and I'm going to bring it to Port of Miami. You think there's not hundreds of curly tail lizards living in that granite? Absolutely. In the shipping containers, in the freight carriers, in all of that. And what do they do? They bring it in. They goes from Port of Miami. Then it goes out to, you know, Hialeah and Doral and Homestead and all these major, major uh, construction supply companies for stone and slate and granite and ore and whatever. And now the lizards are just going. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah, hurricane does a really bad, bad thing and it lets stuff loose and everything else. But there's so much more that just is. There's a lot of. You don't think about it, you know? It's yeah, it's like like everything else, you know, it's just not as cut and dry as. Right. As oh, people are releasing pets, you know, and that's. Yeah. And I really, I don't, I hate talking about this because it gets twisted and people take my words and they take our words. They take what we're saying and our opinions and our insight and they may not use it in the best way, but it's got to get talked about on occasion. It's got to get reminded, right? For both myself as well as others. But I really don't think that it, should be how do i phrase this just because we have awareness doesn't mean that we need to have knee-jerk reactions Mm -hmm. and like you said it's not the pet people or the keepers or the hobbyists that are doing this it's unforeseen outside influences right uncontrollable influences like hurricanes and you know freight freight tankers and whatever else so you know, like we talked about the ashy gecko, it's an invasive species. 
They're all over South Florida. Mm-hmm. They're from Cuba. They were never brought here. No one, no one put them here. It's just they hitchhiked. They hitchhiked, right? Yeah. We have Mediterranean geckos here. You find Mediterranean yeah. geckos on probably damn near any continent. Yeah. And minus Antarctica, maybe. Right. Right. Um, but I mean I like I have some here. And with stuff like that and like curly tails, I would I would think they're fairly benign. You know, like yeah, the Mediterranean geckos. Would pro- are, are in competition with the Enola stuff, but at the same time, they're active at two different intervals. Like, Enolas are going to be active during the day. Mm-hmm. Turkicus are going to be active at night. So it's like, are they really competing? Because it's... I'm not finding Enolas in my in my attic. I'll bet you if I went up there right now, I'd find some Turks. Yeah, that's true. So it's, like, it's not like fire ants, you know, where right. it's where it's like they're destructive and they cause a lot of problems. And it's like how many of these species also, and surely like absolutely, you know, absolutely a species that's not supposed to be there surely has some sort of impact to a degree on, on the native fauna. Right. You know, but it's like with things like curly tails and stuff like that, it's like how much of, how much of a problem are they really? Exactly. And once again, could we have even stopped them in the first place? Like, right. If you want to do avoid that altogether, I would think you'd have to have like a a Guam esque level of security because you know Guam with irregularis being being a massive problem with brown tree snakes, which that like legitimately was a serious problem, but that was again that wasn't someone bringing brown tree snakes with them. That was them just hitchhiking from yeah. all the you know all the ships coming and going and planes coming and going, um, and that's you know. Hawaii is super strict. Like Hawaii, you're not supposed to own any reptiles that aren't native to Hawaii, which is pretty much everything except blind snakes. You know, and it's for that same reason. Like just like Australia, yeah. like Hawaii is is delicate, and I know like brown tree snakes are sort of Hawaii's biggest nightmare because I think if they did get established, they would do some serious damage. But <clears throat> I don't know. It's just you know iguanas. Marcus, I think, mentioned earlier, like, they're pretty destructive, but it's, like, to what? Like, local flora, native flora, more so than anything else? Like, what are they? Tegus, I understand. Tegus eat everything. You know, berms, I can see it being an issue, but I don't know. It's just, it's, like, to what degree? Like, what's what's really the issue versus what's just being added to the list of things where people are like, oh, my God, Florida's, we're losing Florida. Yeah, it's getting, it's getting overrun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's cargo ship ballast water relocate all kinds of invasive species, mussels, fish, and Chinese mitten crabs. What the hell is a mitten crab? Yeah, and Marcus says it flat out. One of the biggest issues is Brazilian pepper. Brazilian pepper is an invasive species that is majorly, majorly destructive to native flora, but at the same time, iguanas and the like love it they like to live in it they like to breed in it they like to eat it they like to disco in it you know and if you get rid of brazilian pepper you can help get rid of iguanas but there's so much brazilian pepper because a people think it smells nice they like the way it looks and it makes a cool hedge line so they just keep doing it you know (laughs) kevin baron fuck that tree (laughs) so but i mean you think about that and it's that's one of those things just like with um, 
what was it mongooses those are a problem i think in hawaii oh really they were introduced somewhere they were brought to help like like so many other things they were brought in to help take care of another issue but ended up becoming their own issue as a result right and how many like we see that so much more with with plants i think is like oh we're bringing these in because they look nice or we're bringing these in because they you know have this xyz benefit and then it's like oh well shit they're it's growing all over everything and killing everything else in its path and just taking over you know well, let's let's even pull one out that a lot of outdoorsmen, outdoors people, excuse me, look at and understand, but they don't bring it to light. And that is feral hogs, feral, feral swine, feral pigs, whatever you want to call them. So if you take a cute, cuddly little pink piglet from the farm and you let it loose in the bushlands of Florida or South Carolina or Louisiana, or Texas, or crap, Pennsylvania. In nine weeks, that pink piglet with the cute little rubbery nose will start to have black fur and tusks. It's one of the fastest... 900 pounds. It's one of the... Feral pigs are one of the fastest reverse feral. Or is it reverse feral? I mean, that's I, what I would call it. I don't know yeah, if that's official it's, name it's, for it. Yeah, it's one of the it's one of the fastest animals that's domesticated that reverts back to its 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 natural state, right? And they do more destruction to Florida and oh, there goes my lighter. They do more destru- destruction to Florida and southeastern states ecosystems than any other animal that's invasive or nuisance or problematic. But Marcus says revert. Excuse me, revert. So thank you, Marcus. Dude, and, my dad had a little miniature pot belly at one point, many, 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 many years ago. We had that in the backyard, like we'd let it out to you know run mm-hmm. around do its thing. The amount of dist- I think it was like the size of of like a dachshund, maybe a little bigger. Right, right. The amount of destruction that pig did to the backyard, just in the fenced-in area, was unbelievable. Right, like right. mind blowing. Like you would have thought that someone had taken a tractor back there and just tilled. Like it was insane. So, in the state of Florida, and I only speak for Florida because I only know Florida's rules, but in the state of Florida, there is no season and there is no bag limit for feral pigs. I think that's pretty much the case everywhere at this point. Unless you're on state land. If you're on state land or a wildlife management area, there is regulations. And every single state land has different regulations. So, for example, if you were to go to the one closest by me, which is happens to be the closest one to the city, there is a season, which is basically the, the seasons in which you were allowed to use firearms. Mm-hmm. And there's also a shoulder height limit of like 14 or 16 inches. Now, you ask yourself, why would the state on this public hunting land make such a law? When it's a horrible invasive species destroying our ecosystem. Because the non-Florida resident hunting license is double the price as a Florida resident. And copious amounts of individuals snowbird down here to do a little light pig hunting in the winter months. And they make a ton of money off of out-of-state hunters. 
So in order to keep the pigs there so the locals don't eradicate all of them like they rightfully should, they make a season and they make a bag limit and they make a shoulder height limit and so on and so forth. Um, which is, I mean... Which is completely contradictory to everything. But I mean, look at the, the X factor there. It's like, what's the common denominator? Money. Money, yeah. But at the same time, it... it they're going to complain about the environment getting getting destroyed and so many problems, but someone wants to come in and put a TJ Maxx and right. you know, a Home Depot. And I don't know about you, but we've got about a million dollar generals here just in Buford, yeah. which is not a big area. And it's like yeah. car washes for some reason lately have been all the rage. Like they've been building car washes like crazy. It's like, why do we need more of these? And everyone's concerned about the environment. But then when someone like a developer comes and has this check saying, hey, and give you this many dollars on a lease for this many years, all of a sudden, yeah, it ain't that important anymore. Yeah. Now I'll also bring up um, the California mountain lion issue, right? Mm-hmm. And I think I've talked about it on here before, but and and someone who lives in California, if you're an outdoorsman or a hunter, please correct me, fix it. Let me know if I'm wrong on this one. But Lisa, She's in yeah, California. so. In California, it's illegal to hunt mountain lion. However, it was proposed by some kind of sportsman's union or outdoorsman's union or group said, hey, Florida did a black bear lottery where basically you the lottery was free. It was only so many tickets, right? If your ticket got pulled and you won as one of the 300 people or whatever it was for the whole state, you had to pay for your your bear tag right and you were allowed to shoot or hunt one bear you couldn't buy it you couldn't sell it you and you couldn't sell any part of it so basically it was for personal use personal consumption you could give it to friends if you wanted to and you you couldn't trade for it either so you couldn't like trade the pelt to someone any kind of exchange for goods so California says, man, that that program worked out really well. You know, it, it culled a lot of bears and brought populations to a understandable level. All the state biologists, they made out like bandits. They got 10 years worth of data in 24 hours. Mm-hmm. It was fantastic. And it helped diversify uh, uh, genetic flow and population density. And it helped all, all these great things for bears in Florida, right? So California says, hey, we're going to do the same thing with mountain lions because, you know, the soccer mom in her yoga pants jogging with her stroller just got mauled like 10 times this month. So let's do Sucks that. To be her. Right. <laughs> and uh, she also just has shit luck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the state of California says, no, we don't trust our hunters. We don't want our hunters money because they were they were like, look, we'll pay for it. Like, you don't even have to do anything. We'll pay for it. We'll do it on our own. They're like, no, we don't like hunters. We don't want you to kill the cats. The cats are not got to be free and blah, blah, blah. However, I don't know exactly if it's once a week or once a day or something to that extent. The state of California hires multiple paid hunters to fly in helicopters and shoot X amount of mountain lions from a helicopter a month. And it supposedly is 10 grand to get the helicopter off the ground. And that's taxpayers dollars. Sounds about right. So 
they're losing money annually when they and getting could, nothing out of it and getting nothing out of it when they could be making money letting hunters do what hunters do best and i know there's a lot of people listening that are that are maybe they're anti-hunting or they don't like trophy hunters or whatever but nobody loves animals more than hunters and conservation would come to a screeching halt if it would if it was not for hunters and conservationists and naturalists in that respect so whatever your opinion of hunters may be it's a fact that california is losing money not managing their cats appropriately so and, and, and it just goes back to the whole pig thing you know billions and billions of feral hogs but you can only shoot them on certain spots at certain mm-hmm. times or whatever else so all right, I'll get off my soapbox. Does Sorry. Florida do so. South Carolina has a sort of a similar lottery system to where I think they do like a hundred licenses to hunt gator. Like it's very limited. It's very hard to get. It's Does nowhere. Florida... So Florida, yeah, Florida's on a lottery. It's way more tickets than anything else that's restricted in the United States. But that's a good thing because for what was it like thirty years there was no alligator harvest, right? Mm-hmm. And you took an animal that was endangered and you brought it back, right? But now because of human development and because of carrying capacity of natural wetlands, you you have to have some kind of management of it. You you have to. Otherwise, you're going to have a decline in um, population. You're going to have a decline in overall health. So Florida has a lottery. You put in your bid for uh, a to, I think you get two tags, if my memory serves me right, because I haven't done it in a long time. But you put in for two tags, which is two gators, and I think it's got to be over four foot, I think, or maybe three foot, something like that. They don't want you just going and taking babies, you know. Um, and you basically pick from like 10 different locations that you want. Most people don't get necessarily the spot that they wanted first on their list. But they give you like seven or eight different choices. So you pick the spots that are local to you or spots that you want to hunt or whatever. And then they give you a time frame. And they're like, okay, from the 1st to the 15th, go for it. And you have that window. And if you don't take your harvest in that window, eh, better luck next year. So, but again, it is still a lottery. And I know guys that strike out. Um, However, it is a large enough lottery that they don't have to do a point system. So, like, for example, um, oh, geez, I don't know, uh, Mountain Goat in Montana, right? Good luck, right? Guys put in their their bid or their lottery for 30, 40, 50 years and don't get, don't get their ticket. But every year they get a point. That point goes back on their account. And every year they, they add that point, it gives them a, a better chance of winning that lottery. That is not the case in Florida because there's plenty of tickets. Yeah. As Patrick said, if they don't hunt gators, you're going to have hundreds of dead little old ladies walking dogs. Yeah, well, I don't even... uh, Funny, Patrick, but I don't even want to get on that tonight. Sorry, guys. It's a bummer, man, because even within the last couple of years, we've had similar things happen here, and it's just... It blows my mind. It's like if you're... Because it's on like Hilton Head in particular, I think, is where it's happened the last couple times here and there's a ton like the amount of people from ohio and up north that live on hilton head is unbelievable but it's like how can you move down here and not 
realize that if it's a fresh body of water, there's probably a gator in it. It's just, I, it blows my mind. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Like, there's people that are surprised that the pond in the middle of their neighborhood has two gators in it. And it's like, what do you, what do you expect? Like, this is. Okay, you know, look, I don't I didn't want to get into it, but I have to because it it bothers me so much. I'm pretty sure the head counts up to nine gators that they've taken out of that lake and euthanized. I Yeah, I heard. So now last I read it was like three or four, but it's probably gone up since then, I'm sure. So now nine gators lost their life. And again, a woman died. That's a tragic thing. I'm not trying to sound cold. But nine animals lost their life, lost their life because one person was stupid. A a snowbird that had lived here for a very long time and should have known damn well not to do that. Now, maybe she was old. Maybe she was senile. Maybe she She was just like in her 80s or something. Okay. 84. At the same time. It's 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 tough, man. It's tough because it's frustrating because it's I, so I easily sound, avoidable. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to sound like a cold piece of shit, but nine gators lost their life because of that. And this isn't some lottery hunting for 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 calling and population control and that sort of thing. This is this is a, a thriving ecosystem in suburbia that we already bulldozed. You see, what I'm getting at, and like, don't get me yeah. wrong, I live here. Like, I have to have a house. Like, you know what I mean? Like humans, it's it's a it's an issue that we're going to live with for the rest of humanity. Right. We need places to live. We need places to, to be humans. But at the same time, we're taking away some stuff. They were here first. So, like, it really, really bothers me when this an issue like this happens because I want to yell at the lady, but I can't. You know what I mean? You can't. I feel bad for her. I do. But at the same time, why did nine gators have to die because of this? Because they didn't know which one did it. Exactly. Exactly. So the solution is to just it's get fear. Her. It's fear. Yeah, it's it. It's and it's funny because well, not funny, but I not necessarily ironic either. But you know, you see this story, and this the the story is almost exactly the same every time. It's usually an elderly person that was walking their dog, right, right on the edge of of a you know retention pond or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think it happened even here in Beaufort. Maybe it was a. I don't think a lady died, but I think her dog got snatched. But again, yeah. it was like, you know, they're there. You drive by that pond every day. You see gators chilling on the bank. Like, why would you decide that of all the places to walk your dog, like right there on the edge of the water, like let's go for a stroll? Like it does. I. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe it's hard. I. It makes sense to me. Because you know, I've I've lived here for so long, and it's just it's like a fact. It's a given. Like if you're on a golf course or you're in a near body of water, there's probably a gator in it. So for me, it's hard to see it from the perspective of someone who isn't from here, who's probably never seen a gator before, but they know they're there. But maybe they just don't yeah, realize this, this, it's just this woman odd. also didn't. This woman didn't just move here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And like she was, she was part of her community. Everyone else, the people named those gators. Like, you see, I'm getting at. And here's the yeah. thing that bothers me the most is that I'm not anti fish and wildlife. I I love the concept of fish and wildlife. Law enforcement to protect natural resources as well as you know ecological issues, and I, I'm for it. I'm with them. 
this wasn't some mindless witch hunt like in the movie Jaws where every fisherman and every guy with a boat goes out and kills the first shark they find because a kid got killed in the beach in a movie. That's not the case. This is state law enforcement with state certified trappers and nuisance animal removers literally hunting down every crocodilian in that lake and removing it over a certain foot size. Like what the hell? Yeah. Like what, what, why? It's, it's a, it's a bummer, man, because it's, and maybe I'm ignorant. Maybe I don't know why, you know, maybe, maybe there is some legitimate reason why they would do this. Maybe this was a, uh, a straw that broke a camel's back. Maybe there was a lot of instances. Maybe there's a lot of issues with these, with this one particular body of water. And they're like, oh crap, I guess we finally got to get on that. We've been talking about it for a year or two but years or 10 years. Instead of telling people, stop walking your dogs right there around the body of water. Instead, yeah. it's like, okay, well, the gators become an inconvenience at this point. It needs to right. go. Yeah. And the gator has to pay the price for being a gator. Like, that's always the thing that's yeah. bothered me the most. It's like, it's an animal that's been doing the same thing for millions upon millions of years yeah it's like it gets punished because of that and it's sort of the same with berms like i'm not against uh people hunting berms and it's like yeah they're not supposed to be here um so do what you got to do uh it sucks because you know the animals didn't ask to be there animals didn't ask to be in that situation you know same with gators it's like it's just doing what gators do like a dog bites somebody the dog has to be put down as a result because it was being a dog you know and i mean granted part of that is on the owner because if you know your dog is not great around other people then don't put it in situations where there's other people around kind of thing i just yeah. i don't know i'd say i i have a very hard time putting all the blame solely on on the organism yeah you know yeah yeah exactly oh man warning signs help the community from not getting sued for neglect yeah Oh, we as a society always have to accommodate the dumbest 5%. Soon we'll have centers in our car to prevent child and car seat deaths. Yeah. Not, not, not everything's bad, everybody. Yeah. The sky is not falling. Everything's good. Remember that. It's not doom and gloom. In the grand scheme of things that are going on in the world, things are pretty damn good on this side of, of the marble. My co-host just likes to get me fired up on air. I do. I like to Man. I like to, to spin them up and watch them go. Yeah, right? Like a Beyblade. <laughs> oh, man. But at the same time, the Wyman's and I saw a lot of alligators. I mean, I would say, Dude, fair to say get, probably it over 100. Old. It never gets old. It never old. gets old. Never gets old. We don't have nearly as many up here as you guys do down there, but they are yeah. they are not hard to find. Um, but damn, like you see like a big bull. Oh, yeah. And like in the wild, it's like, that's a fucking dinosaur. Legit. Legit. Like you see that and it's like, that is, I, I don't know. It's just seeing something that's like, that fascinates me the most about that and crocodilians in general is just, it's like, that's a design that has not changed. Like it has been whittled and perfected so long ago that it's like, it's at its prime. Like what we see. Yeah. It's so simple. 
but damn it, is it effective? Yep. Like it's they're machines. They're they're. And I, dude, like those those gators up by you that like are living under the ice with their nose out of the ice, like incredible, man, incredible. You know. And don't get me wrong, I, you know, I, I don't do a lot of hunting anymore just because life steers you one way or another and time and family and everything else. But I'm not against alligator hunting at all. In fact, I, I, the biggest gator that I've helped harvest was 10-1 and 500 pounds. And that animal brought more data to my local fish and wildlife biologists than any gator that season because of where we harvested it and how big it was and how old it was and everything else. So like I'm all for, you know, hunting and conservation, but to kill nine gators because of this incident, I just can't get behind it. What do your what do you think about capping Gators in particular, we'll use as an example. So, like, if there's a, a gator that's over 10 feet, that being off limits. Well, see, I don't agree with that because it, it's it's very much like, okay, it's very much like rhino hunters. And everyone's going to be like, what? What is he talking about? Okay. So, rhinos are endangered species, right? Mm-hmm. There is a lot of rhinos still in the world. Not as many as there should be. Right. They're still endangered, but there is a lot of rhinos in certain areas where a large male that is clearly the dominant rhino is extremely protective of his cows. And when the the state veterinarian tranquilizes that rhino and takes a semen sample and finds out that he's past his prime and his sperm is not viable and he's literally preventing countless other younger bulls from breeding and diversifying genetics and producing more little baby rhinos that we love so much that rhino needs to be called. Now, a lot of times they'll take that rhino, that old bull and they'll, they'll trank him and they'll bring him to a farm or a ranch or a, a preserve or something, right. And get him away from the cows. But then again, the state might make a lot of money if they let a hunter take it. Right. So, when you have a massive bull alligator that is doing a very similar thing, it's not always a bad thing to take that big old bull. And don't get me wrong. Yeah, they, dude, the gator could be 60, 80 years old, however old they get. But at the same time, is he preventing other animals from using that area or breeding with those females or you know whatever? See, I don't even see it from that that perspective to me it's always a bummer when i see pictures of these just monster bull gators that are just hanging from a bulldozer or whatever and it's it's very it's the same reason why i'm not into collecting adult snakes like corns for example right i don't want to take the biggest corn i can find if i come across one because it's like that animal's already beat Darwinism for the most part. Like the hard part's already over, more or less, for it. Like sure. it survived to that size in the first place, which is not an easy feat. Uh, and it's like, why would you not? Like clearly, those are that's that animal has strong genes. Like it's done something to survive. So why would you not want that to be passed down? Same okay, with the so- like you see people kill like monster Eastern Diamondbacks. It's like 
Right, but here and here's wow. where here's where I'll play devil's advocate. So a monster corn snake male is not going to go out and kill every male corn snake in a you know 500 yard radius and prevent other corn snakes from being bred and, and made a bull alligator will do that a bull rhino will if, do that if we weren't involved it would happen regardless if we weren't in, but we are involved because we're the ones who have pushed them into the minute carrying capacity that they have you see what i'm saying and, we're, and here's the thing, too, is when we talk about the like, alligator harvest, nobody's going into Everglades National Park and hunting alligators. Right. Like, it's right. not happening. We're talking about water management land. We're talking about public land that's you know reserved for everyone's use, mm-hmm. renewable resources, as well as a natural area. And they put regulations and they put stipulations into all of it, right? That's the difference between the wilds that are happening in the federal reserve where there's no hunting and the state land where it needs to be managed because of carrying capacity and because of mercury levels and because of agricultural runoff and whatever else you want to go into it with. You see what I'm getting at? Yeah. I, like I said, I still, I don't know. I mean, a good example too is, is my aunt and uncle live out in Tennessee and every year my dad and, and, some of my other family go out there and hunt and you know they sort of agreed on a rule within the last like three years or so if you see a, a very nice wall worthy buck don't shoot it because we want more of those down the line like if we sure if, if we put down every single one we see of those you're not going to see them anymore so to me it's a similar thing where it's like yeah, you know, a big bull gator that is like a record breaker in terms of size and stuff. Like he may be chasing off the other males, but it's like, is that necessarily a bad thing? Because clearly that's a strong animal, you know, physically, genetically, whatever. It, it's like, I would want to see that carried on. And it's just a bummer because you know that animal lived a very long time, especially when you're dealing with, you know, 12, 13 foot gators, right. as rare as they are. Um, it just it, it's always a bummer for to see people killing those and it being like, well, it's a record breaker. It's like cool, but now it's gone. You know? Yeah, it's- but and, and I, I I totally understand. I totally understand what you're saying, and I'm I'm with you. I really really am. But you also can't necessarily compare hoof stock on private property for sure. That you're that you're managing and you're you're basically. Uh, you, they're 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 feeding it they're nurturing it they're letting it do its thing for a desired result opposed to stuff that's in the wild where it's like hey we haven't seen any alligators in this canal for two years except for this one big bull you see what i'm saying now and don't get me wrong that's typically not the case it's typically not it's a bunch of rednecks going man that fucker's huge let's get him you know what i mean so i i get what you're saying but I will play the devil's advocate and say there's no reason that clearly if that male has gotten to that point, he's already bred with other ones Mm -hmm. and he's already diversified that gene pool. He's already got those big diesel genes out there. But if people are going for every gator, that's over 10 feet at some point. 
you're going to just start having smaller, wimpier gators. Not necessarily because those gators still have to grow up. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, but if they still get to a certain point, people are like, oh, perfect, it's huge, let's kill it. Like, you're going to stop seeing huge gators. Well, no, because he's already bred, in theory. But if they're killing them before they reach that size, you're not going to see them. Yeah, but the genetics are still there. That's what I'm getting at. But they, it, genetics don't matter if it's got a bullet in its dome. Yeah, but if it's gotten to the point that it's that big, it's already bred 10 seasons, 15, 20 seasons, Maybe. whatever it is. Maybe. Maybe I'm wrong. I've been wrong before. So who knows? Oh, Reptile Fight Club, right? But that's 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 why if I take if I come across a corn, if it's an adult, I'm not taking it. Yeah, and I'm with you. you think about how many how many babies actually make it to adulthood. Yeah. From a clutch. Like maybe one. Maybe. Yeah. It's like the odds are that this thing is gonna make it to like the two year mark are really, really slim. And so that's why when it's you know, if I do end up holding on to stuff that I come across, it's almost always, it will always be, um, you know, juvenile or smaller. And yeah. it's, like, it's just because the likelihood of it getting past that point are, are not high. And it's like, I don't want to take adult animals that have, that have already sort of established an area and like, they're clearly doing well. I don't, that doesn't, I'm not down with that. Yeah, and, and dude, like I said before, I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. I do not take big snakes. I don't. I don't see... It is slightly different. Yeah, with, completely unrelated to the whole game. It is, it is, it is. But yeah, but I agree with you a thousand percent. I have not seen a big diamondback in close to a decade. Not to say they're not out there, because I have friends that find them. I just haven't. So, you know what I mean? So if I did find one that was five foot or bigger, I wouldn't keep it. I would make sure that no one knew where it was. Yeah. And Lisa said something that makes her scratch her head is how you hear python breeders say they keep their males smaller because they breed better. Maybe. I think that that my initial thought to that is they're wanting to keep them maybe not necessarily smaller, but leaner because fat lethargic males aren't likely to get the job done as well um but that also depends sort of on the food availability in a given area like if we're talking about wild carpets because she said you know then you have male carpet pythons that are get huge in the wild and it's like i think on npr one of the shows maybe they were talking about that and it's like you get coastals that are massive in some areas and you get coastals that are small in some areas and it seemed like it boiled down to food availability and what food that was. So, you know, if they're getting fat wallabies or whatever, then clearly they're going to get bigger if they're dealing with smaller, you know, rodent size stuff, like what we would typically feed things, then you're going to get a smaller animal. But... Right. So, I don't know. I, I have a feeling that we're... Too. Yeah, oh, for sure. And I have a feeling that we're definitely going to get some some messages this week from listeners because I enjoyed I enjoyed this topic a lot. This is this is thought provoking. I like it. I haven't had a really old snake male like to breed. I think 
probably the oldest one is that that male Biok that I got that first Chondro clutch from because I have no idea how old he is. He was an adult when I got him, and I I think he's up there. I don't think he's older than like ten, but I think he's definitely probably not far off from it. Right, right. And he seemed he boy when I had him in with that female, he he went right to business. He was good. He wasted no time. So it's be it would be interesting, especially if you had like the same pair. Or you know the same male, and over the years, sort of recorded times in terms of like you put him in with a female. How long did it take him to beeline for her? Because yeah. that's what he did when I put him in there. He like no time went straight to her. Um, how long does it take to pour the cavassier? Yeah, yeah, and over time, see if that time changes. Like you know, if you're putting him in at the same time every year, like same date, seeing what happens. Yeah. That would be interesting. Very. All the data. All the datas. The datas. Hmm. I'm still trying those. uh, I need to put those two smaller condors together again. I've been feeding them. Now that I do. And do that that blue spot. Oh, yeah. That blue spotted one, man, is killer. So both that one and the one I posted on Instagram right before that one, as far as reels go. I haven't had sexed because they've both been fairly small and I usually just wait until sheds to see plugs or something and neither of them gave me plugs. So I'm fairly certain, fairly sure that both of those are female. So all of a sudden I am very female heavy, which I'm not upset about. Yeah, could be worse. If that ends up being what they, if they are actually female. Um, But if I can get that smaller pair to go that'll be really interesting because they're they're small like they're not they're not big gondros but they're they're 2018s nice um dude having these rat pups and stuff now has been freaking awesome because i've been able to feed those guys like really consistently now that i'm trying to trying to beef them up some and sort of feed them more regularly to kind of just get a little more size on them and hopefully sort of spark the a little bit of growth and rat pups do it man yeah, yeah, and Wrap having like I've been having such a steady flow of those, it's been really, really, really nice. I'm supposed to be getting some ASFs from Canon here soon too. He wants Excellent. To, he wants me to start producing those for him, and my biggest concern with those is is them chewing their way out of these tubs and stuff because it sounds like they're way worse about chewing than other stuff is. But if those end up being more productive and a little easier than the mice, I may just be done with the mice in general. Which, fun fact, I didn't realize this until I was watching some videos on YouTube. Uh, African softwood rats are actually, I think, considered a mouse and not a rat. Yeah. They're, they're hybrids, right? They're like, they're like so. man, man-made, I thought, right? See, I've heard that, but then I was also, like, I was someone did a video on them and they were, you know, they're talking about like their natural habitat and stuff. And so I'm not entirely sure anymore. Okay. <laughs> Sean said, I love how spinny pounds the drum on corn snakes and bear rats. And in the back room, he's got some badass chondros that he brings yep. up every once in a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The sleepers. I still have eight, nine. Maybe 10. I haven't, so I haven't, I traded one male Biok for the rat colony. 
but I still have like all the other ones and I'm I I got to a point where I was happy with what I had in terms of Condros and I was like I don't really feel a need to bring in anything new. I don't feel a need to get rid of anything like I have a pretty good core group. It was just a matter of getting them up to size and stuff. So that's kind of where I'm at now, but I am thinking Starscream, the one that David Brahms produced. Um she should I think I'm going to try pairing her at the end of the year. Nice. Cooling off. I think she'll be she's she'll definitely be old enough, but I think she'll have more size on her and be and be good to go. So nice, good. Excited about that. Me and Justin Olson, he's got a, a really, really, really just insane male uh coming from um Tommy Budway. And I we talked about possibly doing like a joint pairing with those. Cool. So we'll see. Because if we do that'll throw some just absolutely insane stuff. Nice. We'll see. I do love my chondros still. Don't get it twisted. Yes, I have a lot of corn snakes, and I've sort of retired and turned into an old man with my corns. But I still have the chondros. Those aren't going anywhere. Good. I'm not as gung-ho about them as I was before. You will be when you get your yeah. next clutch. Dude, I can't freaking wait to see little red and yellow heads popping out of eggs again. Like it kills me when I see people hatching those things. I'm like, right. <laughs> I want to see that again. Feels like it was a lifetime ago that I produced that first clutch. It was like 2019. It was. It was. It was a long time ago, man. COVID made everything fly by. Can you guys probe your animals solo, or do you always get a second pair of hands? I always get a second pair of hands. Um, if you have a second pair of hands, then you should use those other hands as well. But if you are like me and don't, um, depending on the species, the crook of your elbow as well as your armpit works pretty well. I just have Katie help me. Usually with stuff like some of the, um, maybe the more spazzy corns or something, I have that, that, uv like not uv but the the fluorescent light tube that i use to tube things yeah and i'll just tube it i just that it may be overkill but honestly i find it gets, gets it over with faster it makes it yeah. easier the snake is freaking out and thrash all over the place they're just musking the hell out of me right right i don't i've never had a snake that sat still to probe no never like, they're just they're doesn't matter what it is they're always just well, you are shoving a metal rod up their butt. They That's are. The yes, that is happening. So se yeah. second pair of hands. Usually if Jake's here, like we're about to record and I have something I need to probe, I'll have him help me out and hold it real quick while I you know, do that. And Yeah. So. Yeah. The um, if you're doing like a, a, if you're doing a python or a boid that, you know, is going to break your tube, like crack your tube or you just don't have tubes, you can. Like I've let I've let a python wrap around my bicep and just held the tail and done it that way, um, or under my armpit and like I've had snakes have put it on my armpit and it like bit my scapula, you know, like bit the back of my tricep. It's nature of the beast. Um, venomous. It's always tube, always. And I have tubed and probed venomous solo, but it was always smaller stuff that I could literally hold the the. Again, not condoning this, but. I could hold, let me move my hand. I could hold the tube in these fingers and then put the tail in like these two fingers and hold the tail against the tube this way. 
So I've got snake tube, snake tail against each other, and I've probed that way. But it was only on really smaller species. And again, with venomous, you should have a second set of hands. And uh, Lisa, if you want tubes, the best tubes on the market are Midwest. They have two different tube sets. I think they're like 30 or 40 bucks a set. The smaller set has everything from that big down to neonate. And then the big set is for like blood python sized tubes. But they are very frail. So if you squeeze too hard on the ends of the tube, you will a thousand percent crack them. In fact, most of my tubes are cracked. So, I mean, nothing a little super glue couldn't fix, but again, just be mindful that when you're holding the snake body and the tube together and you're squeezing and then the snake's resisting with its muscles, there's a high probability that they will crack. So, yeah. what Patrick is saying, he always has a second pair of hands because he's always scared. He'll puncture hemipenes or the female equivalent. And that's kind of where I'm at. Um, just trying to do it one-handed, more or less, is just tough. And for the sake of safety and the sake of ease, just get help. Yeah. Well put. Well put. Because I do have some corns that I've had to probe that were just complete nut jobs. Yeah. It's like, I'm not doing this by myself. It's not happening. Yeah, it took me, like, three or four different attempts on three or four different days to do the fuscus because I was by myself. And uh, what I wound up doing is <laughs> this is again, you could only do this with a tame snake and you could only do this with something that's not venomous. I went up using, I had the comforter on the bed and I kind of like mushed the comforter up and I let the snake, the, the, the fuscus, excuse me, water Python, put its head in under the covers under the under the comforter so it's doing this under the blanket right and i just probed it real quick so because i if i if i tried to put it under my armpit or hold it in my hand i mean the thing was going all, all, all over the place so i mean you could use pvc if you wanted to the only issue is you can't i don't know i like you can't those, see what's going on exactly i like those clear yeah. tubes that that are made for fluorescent lights which really only work for sort of thinner stuff if you're trying to do something like a white lip or something like it had to be it probably have to be something small like young yeah um but i mean at that point you kind of get to a certain size where pvc may be your only option but yeah and if you wind up do tubing your animal and you find that the animal is stuck do not cut the tube do not pull the snake out basically place the entire tube with the snake in it in the enclosure and close it up and walk away. Eventually the snake will relax its muscles and it will either slither all the way through the tube or it'll back out the way that it came. I have had, however, where I misjudged the diameter of the tube and I got a snake stuck, like actually stuck. And uh, it was with Henry. It was a, a, a Siamese black and white spitting cobra. And that was nerve wracking because I went up having to use tin snips because the plastic was so dense and actually cut the snake out again, extremely rare scenario, you know, use your tubes appropriately. But if you find that the snake is stuck, put the whole tube in there, just let them come out on their own. The, once they're, once they don't see you, they're not stressed, the muscles will relax and it'll just slither its way out, whether it be forward or backwards. I had that happen with that, that male Biok. I got the clutch from his name is probably for a reason. So 
I had one of those uh, Sharphorn cages that has the three PVC perches in it of different diameters. Yeah. And I had taken the perch out with him on it to do something. I don't remember what. And then he started being a real horse's ass. And so I just put him back in on the perch, just on the floor of the cage. Right. Perch back. Came back in like 20 minutes later, and that moron had decided to go into the PVC perch and legit got stuck. Like mid-body. He was like in there. And I had, thank, I mean, I was living with, with my vet buddy at the time, so I called him and I was like, help. Yeah. And we got him out, but I was like, how? Like, it's a two-foot cube. You find the one three-inch circle in the entire thing to get yourself stuck in. I was like, this is the story of my life. Was like, this is just dumb yeah yeah and i've uh i've had something similar happen um and i'll tell you right now mineral oil goes a long way mineral oil is a fantastic lubricant um it holds viscosity very very well and if the snake ingests it it it's not going to hurt it at all if anything Mm -hmm. it might help it have an easier bm (laughs) but yeah, I've seen where snakes got stuck in stuff, whether it be, you know, cage decor or hide boxes or whatever, and just applying a little bit of mineral oil to the contact point and just leaving them alone. It'll again, re- muscles will relax and it'll it'll wiggle itself out. And that mineral oil works really well as a, a, a lubricant in that regard. Uh, coconut oil, too. So you just have to kind of melt it in your fingers first and then rub it on the actual contact point. Yeah, that I mean that chondro, he was in there, man, and it sucks when it's an especially pissy one. Yeah, and PVC is dense. You can't, you're not cutting through that with scissors. Like, like the tube that I had the cobra in. I mean, we just use like normal office scissors, um, and then I'm sorry, uh, tin snip scissors, and uh, PVC. It's a whole other ball game. Yeah, uh, Daryl's talking about the the fluorescent bulb tubes that I I talk about and use. I like those because I just cut them in half, and then I have two tubes because they're they're so long. There's really no need to have one that long. And are they are they flexible? Yeah. Oh, that's not nice. like super flexible. Like it's not something you could like press in half without it cracking. Yeah, yeah. Um, but flexible enough to where, yeah, you have a little bit of give. So, what are you using to cut the tube in half? Uh, like a razor blade or scissors. Oh, okay. Okay. Excellent. And there it's, like I said, I think they're like four bucks at Lowe's. Nice. That's it for the, there's two, usually like two diameters. I want to say one is like two inches and maybe another one is like three. So you are kind of limited in terms of what you can use them with. Um, but those things have been great. I used them for Boiga, you know, some of the cyania would have stuck shed on their tail or something, you know, just tube them and get it handled. Um, and general disclaimer, do not tube a venomous snake unless someone has shown you how flat out, no videos on YouTube, even if I made the video. <laughs> so do you, do you still find yourself having to tube things at all on like a regular basis for stuck shed and things like that? No, no. Again, I'm I'm keeping mostly arid stuff, so everything sheds in either perfect shed or like, you know, 
two or three big pieces. Um, and very rarely do I have eye caps. I'm also not one of those guys that's like, oh, an eye cap, let's remove it right now. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll raise the humidity. I'll, I'll make sure there's more water available. Um, I've shot with a squirt gun. I've shot the snake in the face with a squirt gun. Um, Exhaust that, all options before you have to. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I don't like peeling eye caps. Um, and again, if, if it really is bad, you you got to you got to do it. You, you know. Do. Yeah. Um, one time I we had what was it? I think it was a king cobra. We had a juvenile king cobra, probably like seven eight foot. And uh, it's fascinating, man, how how intelligent those snakes are. We always talk about it, but it had a shed. The shed came off perfect, except for the brow line and the two eye caps. So I was like, all right, we'll leave them be. Of course, it was both. Yeah, and um, and dude, like. 10 days, two weeks later, it was blue again. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this sucker's trying to get those eye caps off. And sure as hell, it shed again. And now it's double caps with the same brow line. So naturally, we had to tube it, had to get in there with alligator forceps and use alligator forceps to not not grab the eye cap and peel it, but get underneath the eye cap and just kind of jostle it loose a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then once you've got it like halfway off the diameter, uh, yeah, halfway off the diameter of the eye, then you can peel the rest of it off. Um, but it's it's t- tricky because you can't really use hemostats because right, y- you have these giant hemostats because you don't want to get that too close. So now you're using you basically have three people. You have one person holding the snake in the tube. You have another person holding the back end of the snake because it's seven foot. And then you have myself or whomever using the alligator forceps at the right angle because I don't know if you're familiar, but alligator forceps, the the ring part that your fingers go in, they're almost at like, uh, dare I say, 75 degree angle. Mm-hmm. So if so, if this is the tube, right, and this is my alligator forcep and we'll make the 70 degree angles my thumb, like this is the ring, I'm not going to come in like this. Yeah, because I risk getting bit. I'm going to come in like this so that my hand is outside the tube. Right. And now I can actuate the forceps with my fingers and then use the little alligator mouth on the end to peel the cap. Am I wrong in thinking? Well, let's let's rephrase that. Would you rather have to peel the eye eye caps off of any lapid or like crotalid or like oh a, a lapid for sure a lapid like, for sure it'd be a lot easier on those like yeah they may be a little wirier it's spazzier but i don't well, if i do if i imagine having to do that on like a big baboon or like a big puff yeah well and, and you and it's oh. such a pain and you know what it is it's not so much the danger factor as it is the the cooperation because most of lapids that are in a tube they kind of do this face scrunching thing where they like tuck their lower lip in. They do like, like that. And then they kind of just rub their face side to side. That's what the corns and stuff do. <laughs> right. Because they're totally the same. The, the, no, but physiologically, they are very, very similar compared to, say, Nerodia and a diamondback. You, you see what I'm getting at? Yeah. Yeah. So those wider headed snakes, those more arrow shaped, wider, wider you know headed animals 
they contort their face way more. They 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 open their mouth. They they tuck their jaw in. They kind of pull their cheek to the side, and they make it that much harder for you to get those eye caps off. And I, I think it's just indicative of their the the structure of the head. Yeah. yeah. Well, just having that extra like fang length and the the mobility of it. And, yeah, and a lot of times the a lot of times the the pit viper stuff that has retractable fangs. They're in the tube, so they, they almost can't even open their their mouth all the way to get the fangs out, you know. And I, like I had a um a Suriname Bushmaster, a Muda, that had eye caps, and we tubed it, and it managed to get one fang out, but because the tube was so tight, it couldn't get the fang uh... back in, and it wound up scratching a like little micro trench into the plastic tubing. And at that point, I was like, all right, this thing, is we're not getting the eye caps off. So we wound up putting the whole tube back in the enclosure. It came out on its own. It actually it actually came out the front, fixed its, fixed its face, and then realized that it was too fat to go all the way through the tube, and it backed itself all the way out. Hmm. And then we wound, up, we wound up squirting him in the face with water, which was another horrible idea. Yeah. I don't recommend doing that. Um, but the eye cap eventually did come off. So I Chris really only had eye cap retention issues in the in the green trees um pretty much everything else i've had i haven't had a problem with but sometimes like normally if i get a bad shed from a chondro which happens on occasion if there's still like some stuck shed on on the head or like normally the first thing i check if i see a shed is like did the tail tip get you know is the tail tip good and, and are the eye caps off and sometimes like if the eye caps are on there Sometimes I'll wait until the next shed and normally they come off. Like mm-hmm. it kind of takes care of itself. Um, there have been a couple times though where I have had to sort of grab them and then that that's where that that money counter, the the little rubber fingertip with the oh yeah, yeah. studs, dude. That thing is a game changer. Nice. There was a point in time where if I was sending snakes to somebody, I usually just threw one of those in the box. I get them at staples, you know, a box of like twenty of them for five bucks. And um that like some of that and that shed aid, that Zoomed stuff. Like I'm not big on a lot of the Zoomed products, but that shed mm-hmm. aid that they have, you spray that on there and you let that sit for a minute and it gets really nice and tacky. That coupled with that rubber, man, you're gonna grip whatever's stuck and it's gonna come right off. Like it's nice. it's it works really, really well. Yeah. Uh, and then tail tips sometimes only like once or twice have I had to do this, but like the tail tip will be like really on there. And I'll take uh, like some cuticle scissors or even like a razor and like very, very, very gently cut that ring where it stopped. Oh, yeah. Sometimes it'll start to kind of cinch a little bit if it's sometimes I'll leave it on there for a few days and be like, maybe it'll come off on its own. Um, And if it doesn't, you know, cut that and then I'll just same thing. I'll grab that that rubber fingertip. I get the ones that fit my thumb like the I think there's like a size 14 ring. That's the biggest one they have. And that's what I'll use. And uh, it just it'll grab that skin and just pull it right off yeah my uh my nubian cobra um when i got it it had the tip of its tail covered in like two or three layers of shed and then it had that ring around the middle of the actual tail and uh, constricting yeah and uh very much constricting and i wound up using like you said cuticle scissors and uh i tubed it and who the hell helped me do that Anyway, I, I tubed it and I had a friend hold the body in the tube and then I just had just the tail and I took those cuticle scissors and just snipped it away. Well, it had been on there for so long that it had cut off 
there was no skin left on that ring. It was just an open wound. And I wound up packing it um, with Neosporin. And um, a couple days later, I wound up putting silver sulfadine and that tail wound up just going gangrene and falling off mm-hmm. on its own. So we actually, we jokingly call him nubs because he, he literally has a, a nub tail just past the vent. Um, but he made a full recovery in that regard. But the, that ring is, is very, very serious. If you see that ring, try and get it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that shed aid stuff, man. Like I said, I'm not big on a lot of Zoomed products, but. I've used that stuff's come in clutch multiple times and it's like two or three ingredients. It's like jojoba oil and something else. And it's not one of those things where you like spray it on there and then it magically like makes the shed sort of just come off. I think the big part of it is it creates, it makes it like it's sticky. Like after a few minutes, yeah. like I said, give it a couple seconds to kind of dry a little bit and it becomes a little tacky and it really helps even without the, you know, the rubber fingertip thing, it helps sort of you be able to grab that bit and pull off whatever's left. And sometimes yeah. if I have to soak a chondro, like I'll soak them and I'll, uh, before I put them in there, I'll put a couple sprays of that stuff in there. I don't know if it actually makes a difference or not. I mean, it's an oil going in water, so it doesn't really mix. Um, yeah. But it works. So I usually keep a bottle of that on hand in terms of things from PetSmart to have in your room. Yeah. That, that stuff's handy. Do you use a rain chamber or no? No. So I have made a lot of rain chambers over the years, and I find that... Uh, Honestly, deli cups work the best for doing this, but if you get the water temperature just right, you know, like 80 degrees Fahrenheit or so, where it's like, it's not cold, but it's not warm, you know, mm-hmm. and do 20, 30 minutes. If it's something that needs a, like a perch or something, like you put a stick in there and just let that thing run and, uh, dude, it works wonders. And like, I'll come back 20, 30 minutes later and there'll be a, a shed in the, in the container, you know? Yeah, I mean, I've had some in the past, some some condors in particular um, that I noticed seem to drink more if I miss them as compared to some where if I miss them, they just hide their head and they want nothing to do with me. Yeah. Uh, so for those ones, like, I'll take an empty tub, I'll put their perch sort of on top of it, like resting on the top, and then I'll, I'll spray them so that that water just has somewhere to go. Right. Um, instead of soaking, you know, whatever pad or paper towel or whatever's in there and then having to change it and I'll just put them over an empty tub and I'll, I'll hand mist them for, you know, a solid five minutes or so until I see them stop drinking and then I'll put them back. And, um, with the younger, some of the younger green trees too, if I notice, uh, like I have one in particular, the last one I got from Luke, that one is one of those ones that's a heavy, heavy mist drinker. And I notice too, if it hasn't gone to the bathroom in a while, if I just hit it for, you know, a minute or so with that and then put it away and come back, 15 minutes later you know it'll it'll pass whatever it wants to pass and like clockwork like it's almost comical it's like i know if i spray you with water i'm gonna have to come in and change your you know your your paper towel or whatever yeah. and water and things like that so oh yeah right in the water bowl yeah but i doesn't bother me because it's easier to clean <laughs> yeah touche touche yeah making my life easier yeah and people that want to make a rain chamber slash misting chamber please remember you need more holes in the bottom of the tub than the top because you want the water to drain out just psa (laughs) 
Or holes in the like wall. I've I've thought about doing something to be able to just put in like the shower that I can just turn it on and then have that water drain out. Yeah. Do a thing, but I also feel like if you're you're drenching a green tree like that, they're probably gonna freak out. Well, it's a uh, lot of water at once, you know, just all of a sudden, like it's a downpour out of nowhere kind of thing. You know, when I missed them, yeah. it's usually really fine, fairly fine mist, and I, you know, it's gentle. Yeah, I mean, I've done it mostly with juvenile and baby carpets, and I never you did it, do with- it with squams or anything like that. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, um, we would take so I would take a medium deli. You know, whatever six-inch reptile deli, right? You know the ones with the pre-made holes in the sides. And uh, I'll take a piece of grapevine and I'll wedge it in there on the bottom so that it kind of makes like an arch, right? You obviously we have, you know, ten holes in the top. I'll put like fifteen holes in the bottom, right? Leave the sides the way they are. Put the squam in. Put the lid on put it in my bathroom sink and just run the water on like just a little, not a drip, but like a small, a low pressure street, a trickle. Yeah. And then that top of the deli cup will literally fill with maybe a quarter of an inch of water as it's draining the raindrops into it. Right. And you just see that squam starts to like clam up like, Oh my God, what was that? Why is it raining? And I was like, Oh wait, Oh wait, it's raining. And then they just start drinking off their own body and mm-hmm. rubbing their rubbing their stuck shed or whatever they have. So I've definitely done with them. But I always put something in there for them to hold on to. Yeah. Because yeah, if they sure. if they don't have that, then they're gonna like sprawl out across the entire inside Dude. of the belly cup. And they're more concerned with like hanging on to something yeah. than than drinking and whatnot. You put chondros in a in a tub to soak. And it's like trying to put a cat in a bathtub. Like they're just oh yeah. They're so awkward and that you can tell they're they 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 just freak like they yeah. have nothing to anchor onto. Yep. And they just like they're climbing the hook. They're coming out of the tub before I can even get the lid on. Like, because usually if I have to soak a chondro, like I'm I'm soaking them in there for a couple hours. You know, it's not just like a twenty minute thing, thirty minute thing. There's been sometimes where I, uh, you know, years ago with Problem Child, once again, um, I'd soak him like overnight. He'd just go in a tub with a, a little bit of water, and sometimes you just got to put him in there for a, a a minute. You know, a hot hot minute yeah to really get the job done um and i know like some people worry about about you know drowning and that's why you make the water shallow but some people do like towels and stuff in there too which always made me nervous because it's like this there's going to be a way that snake going to find its way under that towel and not be able to come up like yeah yeah it's going to get stuck in waterboard itself so if i was going to do that with a towel or something in the bottom something some roughage i guess to kind of help loosen things up like it's definitely something i'm not going to set and forget you know, yeah. walk away from it's something i'm gonna be babysitting but. yeah i mean some people put they have like a designated cork flat that they'll just throw in there you know it's 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 waterlogged and probably smells gross but that's like their designated you know rain chamber cork flat and you know it's textured enough that if the snake wants to rub some skin on it it can mm-hmm. but it also has something to grab onto and climb out of that you know quarter inch of water if that I'd rather put a, like a new brick or a paver in there before I put a towel. Honestly, yeah, I agreed. Yeah, put that like also kind of helps displace the water a little bit, some too. So sure, you don't have to use as much, and you're getting more height out of it. Yeah, with the uh, with the rinks, I have a um, the same tubs that I keep the juveniles in. I have another one of those tubs that's just for soaking, um, 
and uh, far less air holes because they're only in there for a short amount of time. I mean, it's it's got mm-hmm. maybe 10 air holes in it, but it's crazy because they, they're not swimming because there's not enough water in there for them to actually swim, but they almost like burrow through the water. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then they realize, oh, this is water. I can drink this. Yeah. And then they, they take a big drink and then they kind of just like sit there like, okay, what now? And by that time that they've swallowed that, like uh, that, that pouch full of water in their neck, you know what I mean? Then I'm like, all right, cool. It's time to put you back and I'll, I'll put them back where they came from. And that's how I got that one to feign death was in the water. And he's like, oh my God, it's wet. Kill myself. I'm drowning. I'm drowning. Yeah. Meanwhile, it's literally upside down in water with its mouth open. I'm like, oh, great. Now I I was like, I got to hook him out because he probably will drown himself. Were you pairing those this year or not? I can't remember. Um, I was going to. I, I was going to. And I'm not because I have so much stuff going on right now. I. It can't hurt to have another season off. I'll have more animals bigger and. I just, it's it wasn't right this year. I, yeah. I felt like I rushed it, and I really want to get. I'm going to work on getting some kind of uh, freestanding air air conditioning tower in the summer for the montane stuff. So this coming like 2024, I guess that'll really, I'll have all my ducks in a row, and and get that good. Fair enough. Yeah. Hmm. So, and I'm pretty sure the Fuscus didn't breed. So. No? Nah, I'm gonna. Uh, I'm waiting for a poo, and then I'm gonna pair them, and then I'm gonna feed them. And if I get nothing, then I get nothing. Oh well. Time will tell. But they survived two months in the chilliness and didn't kill each other, so that's a Good. positive. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So small, minor victories. Yeah, micro victories. Well, sir, I believe it's the witching hour. It is the witching hour. I hear her coming on her room. Nice. Blair, Blair Witch. Nice. Uh, and yes, anyone who does not listen to Herb Talk Radio, yours truly was the most recent episode, and you should go listen to it because that would be wonderful. I think I still have like a half hour left on it. I got to finish. Oh, nice. And uh, definitely give Herb Talk Radio a follow on the Instagrams. Uh, Matt and Peggy do a hell of a job and uh, fun for the whole family. They really, it's funny. Someone mentioned the NPR voice. Oh, for movie, sure. And it's just, that's like, for sure. The first thing I thought of when I heard him, I was like, yep. this sounds just like people on NPR. Like, yeah. It's just very calming. It's super calming. It's good. I like it. Yeah. All right. Well, this show was brought to you by blackboxcages.com. Check them out. Facebook, Instagram, use code THN at checkout. Save yourself a couple of bucks. Blackpotscage.com. I can't wait for the people that won the BioGs to get them and tell me how much they like them because they will like them. They will love them. Uh, and then, hey, if you happen to like the Pacific Northwest and you like people that keep reptiles in the Pacific Northwest, then you also need to be following Puget Sound Pythons. You need to go check them out on Facebook and Instagram as well. Also, check Morph Market. Like I said, they had some stuff for sale not that long ago. They may still buy yourself something nice. They got a wedding coming up. Help, help them out. Yeah. Some 
They had some carpets. They had some balls. Fun for the whole family. Other odds and ends. So uh, we will be back later this week. I think when Chris mentioned Wednesday, trying to do a corn stars episode, I pretty much he's in charge of all of that. So um, don't know if THP is going to happen or not. If we do that, we'll see. I have to talk to Jake, figure out we had a scheduling snafu last week. So, see if that's fixing itself this week or the following week but either way you're going to see something from THN later this week sweet when's the next venom exchange radio dropping uh probably sunday yes 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 when you do probably an episode i don't know man come hopefully, on hopefully soon <laughs> enough of this rattlesnake talk I know it has been very uh, rattlesnake centric, and not that I don't like it. But Nipper and I were just talking about that the other day. It was like, got to get a little, little diverse. So we got we got some some great people in the woodworks. So I'll I'm even excited. take a Pariahs episode or you know Trimeresters, whatever. It's in the works. It's in the works. Okay. Yeah, we got some. We got some more African stuff. Got some South American stuff. Got some Asian stuff. Coral got, snakes. Need a coral snake episode. Get Jack Vicente. Well, you've, you, we've already done that. That was a long time ago. Okay, we'll do it again. Okay. Okay. All right. Everyone have a good evening. See you later. Bye.